Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You know, I've been doing this too long. <laughs> I'm getting so casual about radio now. It's really funny. You know, people get, they get nervous. And I, I, of course, I was nervous at first, you know, and I, uh, uh, when I started WBY, I was really nervous, but because uh, I'd never done this before, and so here I am, you know, my first uh, day on my first time uh, full time radio job, and you know, light goes on, the microphone's live, and says, "Go ahead, Greg, talk." <laughs> oh, okay. Now it's like it was five minutes ago. I'm happily reading this article on uh, the Israeli judicial reform from the Jerusalem Post. Uh, it, it's funny, all our. Uh, all our publications here, you know, in fact, you have to wade through so much nonsense before you get to uh, the real articles. Anyway, you would think that Jerusalem Post being, you know, Jewish, Jerusalem, Israel capital, you know, would, would have the best sources, would be probably the most relevant to the people of Israel. Uh, and therefore, to, to us who look at Israel and we're looking at the judicial system, no, you know, they got CNN, ABC, all these other nonsense things that give the Democrat Party view, which is, you know, it's expected, but it's not. I mean, it's, it always seems to be the same thing. Oh, Marco's early. It must be uh, uh, a slow work day. <laughs> Marco from the Netherlands uh, joins us all the time on live chat. You guys should talk to uh, talk to us on live chat. Uh, live chat's great. Uh, it really gets fun when Marco and uh, Warren from New Orleans wake up, who is our Black Lives Matter Marxist, racist, black supremacist, uh, calls in, oh, checks in on live chat. <laughs> Marco in the Netherlands and uh, uh, Warren in New Orleans <laughs> kind of have it. So we have like an international uh, war going on here. It's really kind of funny. But you can only see it if you listen live because that's where it is. And so uh, uh, it's really interesting. Um, but I really love to hear some some of our folks around the world, especially the communists and the Muslim countries, because I don't know yet how we're going to advocate laws in your country without you folks getting killed. I don't want to do that, um, but I do want to, to uh, and I'm not sure how to do that because we're all pioneers here. We don't know where this is going to go, but it would be fascinating to me to be able to work with uh, folks in, in Iran, uh, folks in, but probably in Indonesia more likely. Uh, there's Marco. I got the thumbs up from Marco. Um, but I think Indonesia is a Muslim country, but I think it's, it's not, you know, it's not the theocracy dictatorship that Iran is. And so that would be fascinating to work with uh, Sharia law because I don't know anything about it. Um, and I don't think it's really open to uh, citizens, you know, uh, you know, writing the laws that they're, they're governed by. Uh, so that would be fascinating to me. Uh, dictatorships. We've got listeners in Cuba. Uh, we've got listeners in Vietnam. Uh, various communist countries. Uh, I'm really curious to work with you folks, especially, uh, especially Cuba, because you're so close. We have such a big Cuban community uh, here in the United States of folks that escaped. And uh, in fact, one of my uh, one of my friends earlier on who the technology report and our founding moments, uh, founding fathers report, uh, his parents got here on a raft from Cuba. And so uh, hopefully we'll get Anthony back on sometime. But we have a lot of different people. You look at the immigrants to the show, me, <laughs> you know, Josie, um, or people that are you know, fairly recently uh, or at least first generation like Dr. Peter Pry, whose family came from Russia. Um, and so uh, it was fascinating, you know, to talk to him for, for years until what happened last August. I believe he was killed by a COVID shot. So we're coming up on the, the one year anniversary of the death of my, my very good friend, Dr. Peter Pry. Um, and it, it's, it's certain anniversaries kind of stick out. February is when 
our webmaster, Eric Colley, uh, died by ventilator uh, in his hospital. I think uh, Dr. Pry died of a COVID shot um, about six months after he got that, which was required for travel, and he had business, and so he got it. But I kept telling him, don't do it. And, uh, you know, his cancer was going away, and then it came roaring back and killed him. Um, and so this, you know, there's a lot of very personal things going on here on the show. Uh, I'm losing friends. You know, these are people, Dr. Zelenko. Uh, who I only got to talk to a few times, uh, just incredibly special person, you know, and uh, we don't have him, but we do have the recordings of him and we do have the bill that we worked on together. And so uh, it's, as you go through this business, you find the people you talk to that uh, you're really glad you talked to them and you got something um, on tape because they're not here forever. Dr. Walter Williams, my first big interview back in 2017, uh, passed away, I think maybe three years later. But it was a fabulous interview, and I, I replayed it once in a while, and I still got it. Anyway, back to what, where I started this conversation was, was Israel. And so Israel does not have a constitution, which means they don't have a Bill of Rights either. At least I don't think so. But I know they don't have a constitution because it, it said so in the Jerusalem Post article. And so I'm thinking to myself, huh, wouldn't that be interesting? We wrote a Bill of Rights for, for Australia. Why can't we write a, a constitution uh, you know, with folks to Israel? I mean, I'm surprised I haven't done it, but we'll look into that. Anyway, the court, the, the what's going on with the Israeli court, the information you, you get out is that the court is a um, uh, dictatorship and they're, they're doing stupid stuff and that these reforms will be a skill for democracy. Of course, as soon as I hear democracy, I'm against it because democracy means rule by those who can be bought. <laughs> you, know, and that, that's a, you look at the masses. Uh, this is why leaders love democracy because all they do is buy people or coerce them. You know, if uh, if our rights, well, here, here actually, COVID gives you the perfect illustration of a democracy versus a republic. In a democracy, if fifty-one uh, percent of the people voted that, or fifty point one, let's say one tenth of one percent, or whatever, or, or just one vote, you know, if they took a national poll and let's just say fifty for the sake of argument, fifty-one percent of the people voted that everybody should wear a mask, then we'd all have to wear masks. In a democracy, right? In a republic, we'd say, you know, screw you. No, we're not wearing a mask because even if ninety-nine percent of the people vote for wearing a mask, you know, those of us in the one percent would exercise our right to uh, be safe and secure in our persons. You know, how's it present effect? And being secure in your person means the government can't put a mask on you, especially one that doesn't work. They can't coerce you to wear one. They can't coerce you. They can't extort you to do anything. Uh, they certainly can't do anything to healthy people. Okay. So all the masks, social distancing, the jab, uh, the requirements, you know, all the mandates, everything they did, closures, all that was, was illegal in a republic. See, that's the difference. You've got to understand the difference between a republic or a democracy. Every time someone says democracy on, on the TV, I want to throw something because they don't know what they're talking about. They don't realize how dangerous democracies are. Democracy is the road to terror. Uh, terrorism and, and well, uh, charity. I said, let me put it that way. Democracy is the road to charity. It's kind of like an essential s- stepping stone along the way, because democracy is ruled by the uh, the ignorant, you know, low information voter. Uh, it's ruled by those who buy or coerce or extort um, just enough people to enforce their will. So the globalists love democracies. They talk about it all the time. Oh, we need democracy. Let's keep the world. You know, World War One. We're going to make the world safe for democracy. You know, uh, Wilson. Uh, President Wilson, who's one of, the, one of the, the worst dictators of all time, coming from leftist progressive academia, um, and brought about the year that ended freedom, 1913, the Federal Reserve, uh, the income tax, and the removal um, of senators being uh, appointed by their states, by their state legislatures. Tyranny, absolute tyranny. Because in a republic, power is divided. It's divided between you know, the federal government, three branches. And they say co-equal. Well, not according to the Supreme Court. Apparently, they think they're superior to everybody else. 
And uh, it's, we'll get to that, too. That's another article, some ethics bill floating around from Democrats. Whenever Democrats talk about ethics, what they want to do is, is change the behavior of Republicans. <laughs> so you really have to translate all this stuff. It's, it's quite fascinating. Um, I may be with you a couple of hours this morning. I'm not sure about Jonathan. Jonathan's working on a bunch of stuff. Um, and so if he can join us, he will. But if not, you know, life goes on. I've got plenty of material and you know, stuff I can play and you know, we'll keep going. Dorothy's going to be here. So we've got the Sex and Sexuality Report. Uh, at nine o'clock, which is one of my favorite times of the week. Hey, all my reporters, I, I love all my reporters. I really do. They're just amazing people. And I'm so glad they're here. Uh, tomorrow, Brianna will not be here. She's at Patriot Academy. And so we're going to hear all about that when she gets back. But uh, Jonathan Kohler, my high school friend, is back. And we're going to do n- another round with Bard. <laughs> you know, and I'm probably going to let Pianchi ask all the questions because he had so much fun last week doing it. I just sit back and every once in a while, it's just it's kind of cool to sit back and listen when, uh, you know, just, just let everybody do their thing. And so Pianchi and Jonathan, I'm sure we'll have a great chat and we'll see what happens. But uh, last week it was great. We had, uh, I was connected by a, a zoom call directly to Jonathan. And so we're connected off the air on a, on a video zoom call. We were connected on the air because uh, the show was going on and I was broadcasting and producing the show at the same time. And uh, Jonathan shared a screen with my computer because he's, He's a technical genius. And the man, the man is definitely a certifiable genius. Uh, and so he had, he had an AI chat. So I'm watching the AI chat. Uh, I've got my Zoom call camera, and I'm, and I'm running the show all at the same time. You know, so I'm not a genius, but I'm pretty good at multitasking, apparently. So we did all that, too. So that's coming up. Uh, this hour, I want to talk about ethanol. And the reason I want to talk about ethanol is because nobody else is talking about ethanol. The only thing you heard from the, the geldings uh, at the, uh, the presidential uh, gathering of the anti-Trump uh, Republicans, which is everybody, <laughs> you know, except, except those of us who, who aren't running for office. But it, it, it appears that everybody running for office uh, is against Trump. In fact, Chris Christie being one of the worst offenders. Uh, in fact, there's so much against running for Trump. You know, people are wondering, you know, why, why, you know, why, why aren't you a Democrat? Or, or what is going on here? You know, it's like, is anybody against Biden? Does anybody care? Any of the gel- No, they're not. And in fact, one of the dangers is, Vic, is, is Vivek Obama. Now, I'm going to keep calling him Obama Swami because to me, he is the stealth, globalist, deep state, you know, you know nice young man with the, with the, the, the slightly uh, you know, not quite white face. <laughs> Isn't that not quite white face? You know, in other words, we had to have a person of color to attract the, uh, the, the younger generation to show the diversity of the, uh, of the people. So in other words, if he, was, if he was a young white guy, you know, if he looked like, I don't know, Charlie Kirk, or some of the other young folks, are, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the same thing, right? So, so you got to have a not white guy. I could have a not white woman too. That would have worked as well. But I think people still think of of men as a little bit more authoritative for some reason. That's why if you ever watch the news, you've got the old white guy and the young Asian woman. You know, that was that was the I, I joke about that, but that was the formula in San Francisco. It was hysterical. They had four networks that were doing regular uh, local news. And all of them had an old white guy and a, and a hot young Asian woman. It was just hysterical. Well, eventually, I think some of them switched to the hot Hispanic woman. But the point was, that was the formula. <laughs> that, that's who you had, right? So, uh, so they figured that the demographics, so the Asian woman would attract the guys to listen, and the authoritative white man would attract the, the women to listen or watch because it was TV. Uh, and that's how they did it. But that's what their, uh, their marketing folks found out was, that was the best combination. So anyway, so Obama Swami. Um, is is doing a psychological operation, a psyop. Uh, I made a little typo in my uh, Facebook post on this, but if I correct it, it's going to have to repost it and take it all down. And it'll, if you ever try to edit something, it comes out shorter because they won't let you post and post. So do it the first time. If it screws up, 
leave a note. That's what I did. So I wrote here, Vivek Obamaswamy continues his PSYOP, in other words, his psychological operation, by saying he won't prosecute Trump for his crimes. What crimes? <laughs> if you're a real Republican, you wouldn't say, I'm going to pardon Trump for his crimes. You'd say, this is a bogus prosecution. This is simply to make him spend money. This is to make him spend time. This is to make him waste all his resources on stupid charges that we know are never going to go through. This is a political operation. This is, in fact, part of the coup to maintain someone who could never be Donald Trump, and that would be Joe Biden. That's what he should say. If he were a Republican, that's what he'd say, but he doesn't say that, right? He says, and all the media is reporting this dutifully, too, you know, it's like say that is like when they all repeated the mantra, that represents a danger to democracy. You know, and they all said it. In fact, you get the 32 screens you know, of the local newscasters. Have you seen that video, right? And they all say it not only at the same time, same inflection, but uh, same, same everything. That represents a danger to democracy. And it, it's great because they all repeat it in cadence. It's Erica. Well, this is, this is what this guy is. You know, he says, We're gonna, I want, I'm going to pardon Trump for all his crimes. Well, well listen, you stupid jerk. What crimes? <laughs> you know, uh, this is a psychological operation. This is designed that every time you think of Trump, you're going to the word crimes is going to pop in your head. Trump crimes, Trump crimes, Trump crimes, psychological operation. Right. That's how they do it. OK, so so on the surface, you think he's advocating for Trump's saying We're not going to let Trump serve jail for his crimes. But if he were a real advocate, again, if you were a real advocate for Trump uh, or an advocate for, for justice, you know, freedom, justice, apple pie, mom in the American way, the nuclear family. If you're a real advocate, if you're a real America first person, he'd say, we're going to prosecute the prosecutors who are bringing these bogus charges. That's what he should be saying. But he's not saying that. He's saying, we're going to pardon Trump for his crimes. In other words, he accepts these bogus prosecutions. He accepts the power play. He accepts the election interference. He accepts everything that's going on. And what he's going to do is pardon Trump for something Trump didn't do. Well, you don't pardon people who are innocent. You pardon people who are guilty, but there are extenuating circumstances like a bogus prosecution or a, a bogus conviction is a good reason to pardon somebody. And you say, look, this, this is bogus. You never should have even been charged. So we're going to pardon you because this is the quickest way to get you out. Do you accept? Should, should never accept because first of all, he would say, I, never, I didn't do anything. This is bogus. But the problem is costing him money. So I'm going to work on my bill on uh, compliance uh, costs. So in other words, if the government investigates you or charges you, uh, they cover the cost of your defense. And if uh, convicted, yeah, then you have to pay them. <laughs> you know? But if not, then you get the full reimbursement, um, plus maybe double. <laughs> you know? So we're going to work on that. I still got to play with that concept. All right, let's talk about ethanol, uh, because ethanol fascinates me. Gee, Greg, why does ethanol fascinate you? Because you're putting salad dressing in our cars. Marco, let's ask Marco. Marco, do you guys have this stupid ethanol mandate? Do you have to put corn oil uh, in your gas tank? You know, um, to me, this is, this is ludicrous. They probably do. It's probably an EU, in other words, the European Union, or as we call it, EU, you know. Uh, do you guys see that for the European Union, EU? EU. <laughs> Just a thought. I'm, I'm, it's Monday. I had sleep. <laughs> you know, everything goes this morning. But that's a question. Um, is that uh, does the does the European Union mandate that you put uh, corn oil salad dressing in your gasoline? Uh, it's a stupid idea. Ethanol mix of gasoline, yes, E5 and E10. See, we have E15. They even give you a little letter to make it sound, you know, harmless E15. That's 15% salad dressing. <laughs> okay, I don't want to run my car in 15% salad dressing. You know, in fact, I got to ask Trump about this because Trump, when I get a chance, right? Um, because Trump was, was proudly proclaiming the virtues um, of ethanol, you know, in, in Iowa. You know, we've got to have ethanol. Ethanol is great. No, it's not. It sucks. Um, uh, in fact, I got some articles. We'll, we'll go into those in just a little bit. But quite frankly, there's no reason for it. 
You know, the biggest problem is the subsidy. Okay, don't subsidize it. Don't give it a tax credit. Don't give it a tax break. Nothing. You know, I don't believe in corporate welfare, and that's all it is is corporate welfare, right? And, and so the idea that we mandate and give a huge tax deduction to put salad dressing in our gas tanks is absurd, because Trump says we've got more oil than any country in the world. Well, if we've got more oil, then we've got more gasoline. And if we've got more gasoline, why are we putting salad dressing in it? That makes no sense to me, right? Logic and reason filter. This is what everything goes through. Oh, what about the jobs? What about the farms? What about them? How about subsidizing Action Radio? So why can't we get subsidized? You know, I mean, if they can get subsidized, then they even subsidize farmers for not growing things, you know, to keep the price up. Think about that. We'll, we'll tackle farm subsidies another day. I've, I've done whole shows on it. I'll do them again. But there's no reason to, um, to pay farmers not to grow things. So the farm subsidy started in the Depression because the prices got so low in the Depression, people were losing their farms. Okay, so I understand that. That's a depression caused by the government, of course. Uh, so so a, a government solution. It's like paying people uh, not to work after they've ruined the economy. <laughs> this is what government does. Well, let me ask Marco again, because Marco's my, my, my source uh, in the Netherlands. And by the way, I do the websites that you uh, uh, post on here. I put them in my show notes and, and keep them for, for future reference. Um, what was the question I was going to ask? Do they subsidize? Do your farmers? Of course, farmers are a key in, uh, in the Netherlands because they're, they're trying to shut down for you know, nitrogen pollution. Oh, please. The air is 72% nitrogen. If nitrogen were a problem, we would have known a long time ago. Um, but my question is, especially with the crackdown, so are they saying that farmers can't use nitrogen fertilizer, uh, which means they can't produce ethanol, or is ethanol like a protected product, like a sacred cow? Can they, uh, you know, is ethanol like off limits? So you can't, you can't touch ethanol um, because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, well, we have to have ethanol. We have to put salad dressing in our car to comply with environmental world standards. So we have to lower our dependence on oil. No, you don't. <laughs> oil is a good thing, right? We've got plenty of it. We've got hundreds of years of supply. Look, long before oil runs out, we'll have hydrogen fuel cells. We'll have, a, we'll have uh, you know, probably magnetic-powered trains. We'll probably, you know, in fact, the, the UFO uh, hearing, uh, I don't know it's produced by farmers. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Marco, take your time. I don't want to take you away from anything you have to do there. Marco's at work, and so we don't want to distract him too much. Um, but if he has time to do stuff, you know, I'd love to get Marco on and find out what he does. <laughs> you don't have to tell me, Marco. You, you can say incognito, even though I do use your first, first name all the time. All right. Let me before. I got an article from ThoughtCo, Understanding the Ethanol Subsidy. So ethanol itself is not a problem. I don't have a problem with ethanol. I don't have a problem with, with uh, turning uh, you know, salad dressing into a fuel, that, uh, a biofuel. It's called a biofuel. By the way, oil is a biofuel, too. Okay. What do you mean, Greg? Well, it's produced by plant and animal, uh, you know, biological material, you know, compressed and heated for millions of years. And uh, then we get oil. Right? Not from your dinosaur bones. Okay, all you folks that think that, uh, you know, you're powering your car on, on T-Rex and, uh, and brontosaurus bones. No, that's not what it is. It's billions and billions and billions of tons of organic material, mostly algae, uh, mud, organic stuff that's uh, compressed and uh, produces oil and coal and natural gas. Uh, I'm not sure how uranium is produced, but the earth makes all this stuff. You know, this is why I say that I believe in intelligent design because everything we need for our, not only our society and our, our health and our, and our, uh, our growth as, as human beings, everything we need for our future, it's all here. Right? So how can we have all the metals we need to use hydrogen fuel cells, to use electric car batteries, to use, uh, you know, titanium for, for jet engines? How come all this stuff's here? You ever ask yourself that? If not God, what you think of some colossal accident? We have wood, we have cotton, we have water, we have food, we have salad dressing for cars, we have metals, you know, we have diamonds, we have all these things. And we have, we have herbs for medicine. You think this is some kind of colossal accident? No. 
Yeah, there's no way these things could happen by accident. So if you believe that, then we should probably talk about that too. All right, let me take a quick information break here. It's 7:19, so let's go 7:30 to the last second last day of is it the 31st. No, it's the 31st. I'm sorry, last day of July. Good. Days are too long and they're too hot, uh, so I don't mind. You know, mind that because I have to work outside one day a week. That's what problems. All right, before I take a break, Marco has a post here. The basic step: large-scale production of ethanol are microbial. In other words, yeast, fermentation of sugars. That's how you make wine and beer, too. <laughs> well, fermentation is fermentation, right? Distillation, dehydration, requirements vary. See ethanol fuel mixtures. Denaturing. Uh, okay, that's, I've heard of denaturing alcohol. I guess that's so you can drink it. Prior to fermentation, some crops require saccharification. That's probably sugar. That's what I'm talking You remember saccharin? Or hydrolysis, that would be hydrogen, of carbohydrates. Okay, that's carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, such as cellulose, which is. Um, food fiber, which is plant fiber, and starch, which are complexes, which are also carbohydrates, and then into sugars. Saccharification of cellulose, that's the stuff in celery, uh, is called cellulosis. The enzymes are used to convert starch into sugar. Your body does that too. By the way, because of starch, um, you know, table sugar is sugar, but basically starch is complex sugar. So when you eat a potato or you eat bread, you're basically eating sugar. Okay. Anyway, so don't know if farmers do this. Sounds like something they would do in brewery companies. Exactly. Let's say you brew beer. You, you know, beer is, is, is um, barley, hops, uh, malt, and water. That's beer. And the yeast is in the air. So you don't have to worry about the yeast. You can add commercial yeast but, or brewer's yeast. But to, to make beer, the, the, you know, use barley um, for, for the, the, the taste, hops for the, the bitterness and the character, malt to make it, I don't know, better, stable, whatever. Uh, and water. <laughs> so you get really good water. The, the most important ingredient in beer is water. Um, you know, you, you uh, that's why, and beer doesn't travel well. So you want to have, always have your beer locally. So in San Francisco, where I live, the best beer was Anchor Steam. And steam was flying for beer because when the beer was too hot, it made too much foam, and it got the name steam. So once they learned how to cool it to the appropriate temperature, it wasn't so foamy or steamy. Anyway, Anchor Steam is the best San Francisco beer. Uh, the best beer I know is, is Guinness, and you have to go to Dublin for that. You have to go to Ireland. Um, but uh, that's the best. And then, of course, there are other ales and stouts and various different things out there. Uh, ale's good. Uh, best ale I had was in a 500-year-old a 500, pub somewhere in the countryside of England. I didn't even know where I was. But it was, I remember the beer. In fact, it was, it was ale. In fact, it was so natural. It still had, like, the barley husks in it. It hadn't been really been filtered. That was good. Oh, here we go. So if beer doesn't travel well, how come they drink it, uh, some, uh, drink it so much in an airplane? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, when I say beer doesn't travel well, it doesn't do well in trucks. It doesn't do well in the heat. It doesn't do well when it's bounced around. It doesn't do well in all kinds of different places. In an airplane, it's probably chilled to an appropriate temperature, and airplanes are a lot smoother than trucks. <laughs> so it probably does fine in an airplane. But then, uh, no. I mean, the best place to have beer is at the brewery. The best place to have wine is at the winery. It just is. You know, and I was fortunate enough to live in the Bay Area for 30 years, and so I frequented until they got too crowded. Um, but back in the 80s uh, and early 90s, mostly the 80s, I mean, I'd be in Napa Valley and Sonoma Valley all the time, especially in wintertime because the tourists weren't there. So the wineries were empty. They didn't have a wine train. These places were wide open. Uh, the samples were free because they knew you were going to buy a couple of bottles. I always ended up with a case, you know, by the time I, uh, I left uh, either Sonoma or Napa Valley. And uh, they were happy. I was happy. You know, January, best time to go wine touring in the Bay Area? January, especially the third and fourth week. We have like a January thaw. It's about 65, 75 degrees. It's perfect, right? Blue sky, and nobody's there. Well, maybe now. Anyway, um, that's a little, uh, a little thing. Okay, let's, let's do what is it now. So now it's 723. 
So we'll do our information break here real quickly. I'll be back. We'll talk. Uh, I've got some ethanol articles for you. Be right back. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. Okay, what you all missed is one of the most exciting moments here on the show, behind the scenes, uh, because my mouse froze up and I think, what's going on? My mouse isn't working. I couldn't unmute, <laughs> which is like, that would have ended the show, right? Well, I figured out it was the mouse batteries. So, so quickly changing mouse batteries to be able to play in the next commercial. <laughs> That's kind of how it works around here. All right, let's get, to, let's get to in the news mode.
ethanol. Uh, ethanol is distilled from corn and it's put in your gas tank uh, for a bunch of reasons, uh, allegedly to reduce pollution, reduce dependence on foreign oil. Um, but I'm not sure why it's put in because there's no reason for it. I mean, gasoline works just fine. You know, cars worked fine before uh, ethanol. Uh, they'll work fine after ethanol. Um, hopefully, we'll get rid of the subsidy as quickly as possible. All it does is make uh, mega corporations like Archer Daniels Midland rich. And there's no reason for that because they're enough. And let them do what, what the rest of us do, compete in the free market. You know, you know, it's the small companies like mine. We have to compete in the free market. Big companies, they get subsidized, okay? This is why uh, big companies do, do really well. Um, and they don't have to worry about competition because the government takes it away from them. A nice cooperative little deal we know as fascism. All right. So Thought Company is the website. I got this from Understanding the Ethanol Subsidy. Uh, how the federal government's primary ethanol subsidy works. Okay, so it's not ethanol itself that's the problem. If people want to make ethanol and buy ethanol, I don't care. It's free country. Go ahead, go for it. What I care is the government's paying for it uh, and making me pay for it and making me put it in my car, you know, because most places, or if I don't want to put it in my car, it's going to cost me a lot more money. Now, my current car, I don't care. Sorry, car, it's out there. You know, it's just, it's, uh, but when I get my, my new sports car someday, <laughs> it's, it's not going to get, ethanol will never uh, touch that gas. Now I'm going to go straight for uh, regular gas. It'll cost me a dollar more a gallon, but by the point I'll be able to afford it, so I won't care. All right, so here's an update uh, updated on September 4th, 2021. So it's only a couple of years old. Most of the articles uh, came out before the Republican nomination in 2020, I mean 2016. So it's interesting. Uh, it's really interesting that, uh, that people were really questioning the ethanol subsidy back during a presidential election year before Trump was nominated. I find that fascinating. This one's 2021, September 4th, so this would have been... Uh, into brand, uh, no brand, yeah, Brent's insurrection, which started in January. He said, and this is by Tom Merce, M-U-R-S-E. He says, the primary ethanol subsidy offered by the federal government is a tax incentive called the Volumetric Ethanol Excise Tax Credit, which was passed by Congress and signed into law by President George W. Bush, a well-known globalist, that's what I said, uh, in, in 2004. It took effect in 2005. Okay, this is another needless thing by, you know, uh, globalists. So, so the globalist presidents, George Bush the Elder, uh, Bill Clinton, George Bush the Younger, and Barack Obama. Um, Ronald Reagan to a certain extent, but not as bad. He had globalists in his administration, but he himself, I don't think. He was, a, he was an America first person. Uh, same thing with Trump. Trump is America first, and he surrounded himself with America first people, but there are plenty of globalists you know, that were just under those people that sabotaged most of what he tried to do. So George Bush the Younger, George W. Bush, W. did this. Uh, the oil man. Now, why would an oil man put, uh, do a volumetric ethanol excise tax credit? I don't know, but he did. Anyway, it says the ethanol subsidy, which is commonly referred to as the blender's credit, offers ethanol blenders registered with the Internal Revenue Service, there we go, credit of 45 cents for every gallon of pure ethanol they blend with gasoline. Well, isn't that interesting? So they get 45 cents back per gallon. That particular ethanol subsidy cost taxpayers $5.7 billion dollars in foregone revenues, in other words, money we didn't get, uh, according to the U.S. Government Accountability Office, that would be the GAO, the Nonpartisan Congressional Watchdog Agency. Well, anytime they say nonpartisan and congressional in the same sentence, I tend to worry uh, and question it. But anyway, so, that, so it's a tax credit. So in other words, if you make a bunch of money and you owe a corporate tax of a uh, million dollars and you get uh, 45 cents back for that, then you owe slightly over half a million dollars instead because <laughs> you're going to get over, you're going to get 45, you know, uh, $450,000 back. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it amounts to. And that's why it amounts to billions of dollars, right? This is that particular, ethanol, okay, we read that. Debate over ethanol uh, subsidy. 
Supporters of the federal ethanol subsidy argue that it encourages production and use of the biofuel. Of course, oil is a biofuel. We've been over that, right? Oil is a natural, organic biofuel. If it's not, then where, what else would you call it? What do, you, what do you think it comes from? It comes from the ground. You know, it comes from material. Hey, so does ethanol. Gee, what a surprise. Except that oil, gasoline is better for your car than ethanol. Anyway, this is the use of a biofuel and thereby reduces the amount of foreign oil needed to produce gasoline, a step towards energy independence. Well, isn't it interesting? We had energy independence under Donald Trump and we had ethanol, but we didn't need it. We had so much oil under Donald Trump, we didn't need ethanol at all. And I'm, I'm kind of curious. Maybe I'll see if I can do some research on what happened to ethanol during the Trump administration because we didn't need it. We were energy independent. And guess what? It had nothing to do with ethanol. Had to do with uh, opening the markets. Had to do with drilling for oil. Had to do with opening federal leases, you know, on land that actually had oil. See, Brandon and the Democrats, they'll say they'll, they'll give oil leases to uh, to the oil companies where there's no oil. <laughs> you know, and they say, well, we offered them, you know, billions of acres of land of of uh, you know of, for oil leases, and they didn't take them, you know, because they don't care. They want to keep the price up. No, they didn't take them because there's no oil or no infrastructure to get the oil out. You know, you got to look at the facts. This, this is what we have to do here. Is Know, go through the information. Then it says, but critics argue that ethanol burns far less efficiently than gasoline, which it does, driving up fuel consumption, which it does, and that it increases demand for corn for fuel and artificially boosts the cost of farm commodities and retail prices of food. Yeah, if you're if you're spending all your if you're subsidizing corn, you know, for salad dressing for your car, you know, then uh, then that, you're not using that acreage for other stuff that we might want. Okay. Anyway, it says they also say such an incentive is unnecessary because legislation enacted in 2007 requires all oil companies to produce 36 billion gallons of biofuels each, uh, such as ethanol, by 2022. Well, again, oil is a biofuel. So this, this, these people are insane. Here's something else, too. Ethanol um, is, is, is the same stuff you drink. <laughs> so basically, it's moonshine. <laughs> okay. For those who don't know, uh, Marco, do you know about moonshine? Moonshine is a, is a, is a great American tradition. Of, of getting a still, uh, which is a, a big, you know, pot with some copper wiring where you basically cook corn oil uh, and the stuff evaporates out. I'm not sure how you do it, but you get, uh, you get, pure, you get the alcohol out, ethanol. Uh, instead of powering your car on it, you drink it. <laughs> you know, uh, it says, uh, oh, a cabled mouse is the very best. Yeah, a cabled mouse. I had a cabled mouse. I've got a cabled mouse. But it doesn't, the, the same reason it's really hard to work during the show. And there's something about it that I have too many cables. Yeah, although I, I, I could use a cable mouse the rest of the time, but you know that's my only expense. Everything else is plugged in. Uh, I don't. Uh, the computer's plugged in. You know, I have Wi-Fi, but the computer's plugged in. The Wi-Fi's off. Um, so I try to use li- as little Wi-Fi as possible. But the mouse, the the battery mouse is much more convenient. I find. Anyway, back to this. So anyway, so ethanol is basically moonshine. You know, and so all, all the you see those uh, films in the you know the, the Roaring Twenties, the bootleggers when they're they're making their own alcohol, they're making ethanol. <laughs> That's what they were making, right? You can power cars on it, but in in a future article, it talks about how they add dangerous chemicals to the ethanol, so you can't drink it. Okay, fine. You know, kind of crazy, but so in other words, people could make their own ethanol. Actually, you could. Well, I'll get to that in a bit. I got an article on that. Then it says the effort to kill the ethanol subsidy. Coburn, this is Senator Coburn. I should back up a little bit. Critics argue that ethanol burns less efficiently. Da, 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 da. They also say such an incentive is unnecessary because legislation enacted in 2007 requires oil companies to. Oh, anyway. Then it says, while born of good intentions, federal subsidies for ethanol have failed to achieve their intended goals of energy independence. Obviously, because they, they made it impossible. Well, the, the, the government does that. They, uh, they make a situation where we have to buy foreign oil. 
So you just create a situation where we don't have to buy foreign oil, which is what Trump did, and then you get energy independence. It's got nothing to do with ethanol, right? And this is U.S. Senator Tom Coburn, a Republican uh, from Oklahoma, and leading critic of the ethanol subsidy, said in 2011, you don't need it. It's failed. Okay. I might just skip around a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of running out of time. I don't know if Jonathan – well, we'll see. I'll just go with this here. Coburn led an effort to repeal the ethanol subsidy in June of 2011. See, this has been going on for a while, uh, saying it was a waste of taxpayers' money. He said the volumetric ethanol excise tax credit cost $30.5 billion from 2005 to 2011. It's a lot of money because consumption remained only a small part of the country's fuel use. There we go. His effort to repeal the ethanol subsidy failed in the Senate by a vote of 59 to 40. Oh, he says, while I'm disappointed my amendment did not pass, taxpayers should remember that when I offered an amendment to defund the bridge to nowhere in Alaska, you know, we lost about 82 to 15. Yeah, so, so ethanol has, has its supporters. Probably Archie Daniels Midland, who contributes to campaigns so that uh, they keep their, you know, the, so Archie Daniels Midland, you know, uh, pays, what, $20 million in lobbying costs and gets a gets billion dollars back in subsidies. It's a good investment. Whatever. I don't know. Those aren't the exact numbers, but you get the idea. It says, according to the Renewable Fuels Association, which, of course, includes oil, <laughs> the ISAT, gasoline refiners and marketers are required to pay the full tax rate of which is 18.4 cents per gallon on the total gasoline ethanol mixture, but can claim 45 cents per gallon tax credit. So they pay 18.4 in and they get 45 cents back. Hmm. Still a good deal, right? The ethanol subsidy benefits multi-billion dollar integrated oil companies such as BP, that's British Petroleum, Exxon, and Chevron. Exxon and Chevron are part of the original Standard Oil. Uh, that was the John D. Rockefeller company. So it goes in more in this stuff. Um, but here's, here's the problem. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is because of the, the uh, uh, politicians in Iowa. Uh, it was it last? Uh, yeah, it was just last weekend. And so they're in Iowa. And Iowa is where most of the ethanol is produced. And none of the, uh, the other candidates talked about it because they can't, you know, because the donors won't let them. Because whatever donors they have in Iowa won't let them, you know, get rid of the ethanol subsidy. So they don't even talk about it. Trump comes out for it. Now, I think he's wrong. I think he's wrong to come out for it. In fact, if you really, really want to form government, he's already said we've got more gasoline and more oil than any other country in the world. So why, why would you support ethanol? Let it compete on the market. If ethanol is good, people will buy it. If ethanol is not good, people won't buy it. But it should be a, a consumer choice. It should not be a government mandate. See, that's the difference. I'm surprised Trump mandates this. Uh, he says, and the article says, during his 20, 2016 campaign, President Donald Trump came out as one of the ethanol subsidy's strongest supporters. <sighs> Big mistake, Donald. Speaking in Iowa, where corn is king on January. Have you ever been to Iowa? And Marco hasn't, I know. But if you, if you drive through, I drove through Iowa. When I moved to California, I, I drove Route 80 all the way across the United States, from uh, New York to San Francisco. And when you get to Iowa, you just get these endless rolling fields of corn. It's beautiful. They're not flat, by the way. They're actually rolling. And so you drive along 80, and so you go up, and then you go down, and you go up, and you go down. Endless, endless miles and miles of these beautiful cornfields. It's unfortunate they're going for salad dressing for your car, but, you know, that's where we are now. All right. He says, uh, what did Trump say? Oh, speaking on Iowa. He says the EPA should ensure that biofuel blends levels, uh, blend levels match the statutory level set by Congress. This is adding that it was, or he was, you know, there with you farmers 100% on continuing federal subsidy for ethanol. You're going to get a really fair shake from me. Like well, in a future article, it says there's only 1,500 farmers that actually produce ethanol. It's probably the largest corporations, right? So 1,500 farmers out of the entire state is not a lot of people. 
Anyway, it says after Trump took office in January 2017, all seemed well with the ethanol subsidy until early October when his own EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, who was really good, by the way, announced that the agency was considering lowering the EPA mandated subsidy payment level for ethanol slightly in 2018. Right. It should have gotten rid of it. Just the shock, this suggestion sent shockwaves to the Corn Belt and its Republican congressional protectors. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley accused Trump of a bait and switch in reference to his empathic campaign promise. Grassley in Iowa, another Republican Senator, Joni Ernst, threatened to block all of Trump's future EPA appointments. But they really want this subsidy. <laughs> they really want this subsidy, right? Uh, but you're paying for it. This is Joni Ernst turned to Boeing. The governors of most Corn Belt states joined in sending Trump warning, uh, warning him that any cutback in the renewable fuel standard programs subsidies would be highly disruptive, unprecedented, and potentially catastrophic. Wait, they've only had these things since 2004. It's not like this is a longstanding tradition. It's not like it goes back to our founding. It's not like the founding fathers argued and said, oh, God, we need ethanol. You know, we need to, uh, for, for future uh, industrial use, we need to protect corn and, and subsidize it. <laughs> the founders wouldn't have wanted any subsidies. They would have wanted a free market. All right, let's get you another article. Digital Trends. Digital Trends by Jeff Zurschmid. Z-U-R, or Z for you folks in the British Commonwealth. Z-U-R-S-C-H-M-E-I-D-E, August 6, 2016, right before the Republican convention that nominated Trump. See, I told you, this is a big t- discussion back then. Now we don't talk about it anymore. That's the reason I'm doing this. Uh, the reason I'm doing this hour is because nobody's talking about ethanol. All these Republicans went to Iowa. Not a single one mentioned uh, for or against it. But so it's, it's like tacitly saying they're for it. Okay, Trump is all for it. Oh, love that ethanol. Love that ethanol subsidy, even though, as Trump says, we have more liquid gold than any other nation in the world. Okay? So it's kind of a contradiction. I'd love to talk to him about that and say, why? Why are you supporting this ridiculous stuff? All right. So let's get to the article. He says, put, uh, pull up to just about any gas station pump in America, and you'll see a sticker noting that the gas in the pump contains ethanol. It's all around you. But most people don't know much about ethanol. Exactly why I'm doing this show today, right? He says, what is doing to your car and why it's there in the first place? Ah, now that's a good story. He says, what is fuel ethanol? Ethanol is stuff in vodka <laughs> and every other alcoholic drink, and it's made the same way. In other words, it's moonshine. <laughs> you know, you, you make your own ethanol. It's, it's, it's moonshine. It's alcohol. It's cool, right? It says it's made the same way by fermenting corn or other biomass. But when it's used for fuel purposes, the refineries put some extra chemicals in to make it poisonous and unfit for human consumption. Well, if you drink enough of it, you'll die too. Alcoholics find that out eventually anyway, right? So, so they take ethanol, they take a perfectly good drinkable product, and, they, and then they put chemicals in it that'll kill you so that your car can drink it. <laughs> Tell me this makes any sense, right? So then they mix it with gasoline. And uh, in case it's not obvious, you really don't want to consider fuel ethanol as an alternative to your favorite cocktail. Heck, if you're bringing cocktails to the gas station, you've got bigger issues. <laughs> this guy's funny. Ethanol is different from methanol. Ethanol, E-T-H, might not translate well on the radio, especially when I'm speaking fast. E-T-H-A-N-O-L, ethanol, is different from methanol, M-E-T-H-A-N-O-L, which is wood alcohol. That stuff is already poisonous in its basic form, and they use it on some very high-powered racing engines, but not in production fuel to four-street vehicles. Because the idiots will go even faster than they do, right? He says uh, ethanol, oh, this is where I got this from, I was just mentioning a minute ago. Ethanol has a long history in America. Over 100 years ago, Henry Ford designed the first Model T to run on ethanol or gasoline. Okay? Ford Model T, right? Uh, again, but they didn't subsidize it. 
See, that's the difference. There's nothing wrong with ethanol. The, the, what's wrong is the subsidy. We shouldn't pay for it. You didn't have to pay for it twice. You pay for it at the gas pump, and you pay to subsidize it to get in your gas. That's crazy. Then it says uh, the, original, uh, the original Model T was a flex fuel vehicle. Uh, she says Ford did this because gasoline was not commonly available everywhere in 1908. True. And farmers could produce ethanol very cheaply and use it to fuel their vehicles yeah, and drink it. <laughs> yeah. Especially, you could run your Model T on moonshine. <laughs> this is where I got that from, right? So I've got to give credit where credit's due. So this is where I, this is where I, I, I it's funny, I actually thought of it myself. I said, this stuff's running on moonshine. And then I read it like in this paragraph. And that is the true story. I'm not, I'm not trying to claim credit for things that I don't do. I don't. I don't do that. I, really, I just don't. But I, I did think of it. And then I read it here as confirmation that ethanol is moonshine. <laughs> anyway, ethanol also made a comeback as fuel during World War II when gasoline was strictly rationed. I guess we don't want our fighters running on moonshine. <laughs> Article says today, 97% of gasoline sold in America has ethanol in it. It's dumb. The exact amount of ethanol in the mix varies from state to state. However, in, in some states, you can find ethanol-free premium gas. Yeah, we have that around here. So I can buy gas without ethanol in it. I had an old Toyota that made 1987. Loved actual gasoline. Because 1987 was before the ethanol subsidy in 2004. It wasn't made for ethanol. All right? So I had a 1987 car with 400,000 miles on it. Ran great on non-ethanol gasoline. It was expensive, but it was worth it, right? Anyway, and the article says the exact amount of ethanol. Okay, so in, in uh, the Netherlands, they have E5, in other words, 5%, and E10, 10%. In the United States, we have 10% and 15%. I'm surprised we don't have 40%, but they'll work on that. Then it says, however, in some states, you can find ethanol-free gas. He says, but in general, you can expect that gasoline sold in the United States has around 10% ethanol, in other words, moonshine, in it. Why is ethanol in our gas? Well, the article says, fuel ethanol is used to enhance the octane rating of gasoline. To put that simply, higher octane gas resists detonation, so it burns rather than exploding. Yeah. So uh, let me give you a quick and dirty lesson on, on uh, octane. Octane is eight. Octagon, you know, you guys watch martial arts. So eight is an octane ring. So it's eight carbons in a ring. And those carbons have hydrogen and oxygen off them. You know, it's carbon. Uh, no, they have, carbon, they have hydrogen, so it's carbohydrate. That, uh, no, sorry, it's a uh, hydrocarbon. That's what fuel is, hydrocarbon. So you've got carbon with hydrogen. So the more bonds, the thicker the bonds, the, str- the higher the octane rating, um, and the, the more force and heat it takes to break those bonds. Well, releasing, well, breaking those chemical bonds is what releases the energy in gasoline. Right? So if you can make the bonds stronger between the carbon atoms, you're going to release more energy. But if the bonds are weaker, then uh, you're going to release it more easily, but it's going to burn faster. You want gasoline to burn in a controlled fashion in your cylinders rather than exploding. Because when exploding, it's not efficient at all. But when it's controlled burn, it moves the pistons at the right speed, turning the crankshaft, turning the wheels. It's not very efficient, but it works. You know. Anyway, then he says, but raising the octane level of gasoline is expensive. That's why premium fuel costs more than regular. Yep. Adding ethanol, well, we used to have 110, 120, 130 for aviation fuel, so they can't do it. They just don't. They don't want to. But anyway, it says adding ethanol reduces the tendency of low-grade gasoline to detonate, in other words, explode, enabling our national fleet to run on crappier gas. <laughs> That's what he says. Ethanol allows our entire fleet of vehicles to run on crappier gas. That's actually a really good comment. Then it says there's also the political angle. Ethanol is, general, is generally made from corn, crop waste, wood chips, or sugarcane. Hmm, well, we produce enough sugar. Much of the biomass used to make ethanol is grown in politically important states. Oh, here we go. Politically important states. Iowa, for example, can trace 
$1.5 billion in the state's economy and 47,000 jobs directly to corn-based ethanol. And so this year, virtually every presidential candidate to win Iowa caucuses since 1980, oh, there we go, my 87, I guess, was there, had pledged to support the continued mandate for ethanol in our fuel. So I guess they mandated it way back when, but I guess the, the latest subsidy uh, was the George Bush 2004. Um, Marco says, I guess ethanol is good because a lot of people buy it every weekend. Yeah, well, I, people buy fuel all the time. He says, isn't ethanol the part of it you can't drink? Uh, correct. It's drinkable. Yes, yes. Ethanol is drinkable. But ethanol that goes into your car has chemicals added to it, so it's not drinkable. But, uh, yeah, if you, if you get your still, if you, if, you do, if you make your own alcohol, you're out there in the backwoods of Tennessee, you know, where they make their own alcohol. They got moonshine, right? So you can put your moonshine. You can sell your moonshine drink, and as long as you don't add the dangerous chemicals, you can put the moonshine directly into your car. So you could actually do double duty. You could have a you could have a dual product that is both drinkable and drinkable for your car. For those of you in Tennessee, I apologize for my rather poor accent, but it's the best I can do. <laughs> I try. All right. So there we go. No surprise. Ah, and here we go from something else. This is it's no surprise. Back to the article. Digital trends. Uh, that ethanol in U.S. gasoline is mandated by Congress. You idiots. They shouldn't be able to do that, but, uh, you know, but no one's taking them to court. Then it says, it started with the 1990 Clean Air Act. Well, this is when this nonsense started. And then in 2005, Congress passed the Renewable Fuel Standard that created minimum levels for use of the renewable fuels. Okay, so there we go. So, right. So, in 1990, Clean Air says, well, we got to put uh, salad dressing in our fuel. 2005, Congress said, yeah, we're going to uh, pay the companies a bunch of money to put salad dressing in our fuel. Isn't it amazing how government works? Then it says in 2007, Congress raised the renewable fuel standard targets to 36 billion gallons by 2022. That was last year. Hmm. By 2014, 13 billion gallons of ethanol were being mixed into U.S. gasoline supply every year. Here's the good and the bad about ethanol. Let's start with the good news. Ethanol is cleaner, is cleaner fuel than gasoline, and it helps reduce emissions when mixed with gasoline. Um, it depends what you mean by emissions. Is it clear because it doesn't have the sulfur and the, ni uh, the, the nitrous oxide, so it doesn't produce sulfuric acid and nitric acid? Yeah, maybe. But is it? Uh, but in terms of carbon dioxide, it doesn't matter because we need carbon dioxide. So actually, the fuel that produces the most carbon dioxide would be better. Isn't it interesting though that uh, if both ethanol and gasoline produce carbon dioxide, doesn't that make them both biomass or biofuels? How else would you produce carbon dioxide unless you, you started with uh, with carbon in the compound? So you had to be burning car carbon as part of a hydrocarbon, carbon and hydrogen, mixed with oxygen in your, your uh, um, what is it, uh, fuel mixture. A carburetor for the old cars, what do they call the new ones? Uh, what's it called? You know what I'm thinking of. Fuel injection. There we go. Sorry. Ah, beat your mark. <laughs> he's, he's, he's probably typing it. Fuel injection, Greg. What's wrong with you? Um, yeah, this is, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. He says, I guess that ethanol is good because a lot of people buy it every weekend. Oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah, they buy their, 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 uh, their alcohol every weekend. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, same stuff, right? So the same stuff in your Bud Light. Well, maybe not Bud Light, but uh, in, in most uh, reputable alcohol uh, brands. Uh, so it would be an interesting experiment. So if, if you put like cheap Russian vodka in your car, uh, would it run? It's a way good vodka or cheap vodka, but yeah, it probably would. I don't know, I'm, just, I'm just guessing. It would be an interesting experiment. We'll get some crazy Russian. This, this vehicle runs on vodka. It's good. It's good cheap Russian vodka. It's cheaper than gasoline. So we buy it. We put it in, in car. It's good. It'd be fun to see. 
Then it says on the downside, ethanol is less energy dense than gasoline, meaning that there's more energy in a gallon of gasoline than there is in a gallon of ethanol. So every gallon of ethanol you buy is going to give you less energy than a gallon of gasoline. So what's the point, right? It says in general, ethanol has about 33% less energy than gasoline. Oh, that's interesting. So, 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 so ethanol is really gasoline light. It's kind of like the Bud Light of gasolines, of fuels. 3% less energy. Great. And they, and they subsidize it. So they're actually subsidizing. Okay, so get this right. So our government, this is why I'm against it, right? So our government is subsidizing at a ridiculously high rate a fuel that they mandate be put in our tank that is 33% or one-third less efficient, has one-third less energy than the fuel we'd like to buy, which is gasoline. Tell me that makes any sense. Someone's got to be paid off. The only reason this kind of stupidity happens is money. There's money changing hands. That's why it's happening. Because the idea that the government mandates us put something in our tanks that has one-third less energy per gallon is insane. Especially if you believe in energy conservation. Why, why would you put a, a weaker fuel in your tank? You have to buy more of it, right? So in other words, for every one gallon of gasoline, you have to buy a gallon and a third of ethanol to get the same power. Great. Then it says, so that's just me talking. Back to the article, it says, so the more ethanol in the fuel, the worse the fuel economy you're going to get. Gasoline with 10% ethanol yields about 3% less fuel economy than straight gas. There you go. Ethanol also wants to evaporate more than gasoline. Well, that's interesting. And fuel evaporation is a major source of air pollution. So you need those spring-loaded vapor seals on fuel pumps and similar gear at the refining and distribution center to keep ethanol in the fuel. Yeah, if you open the tank, it's gone. Bye. You know, there's a leak in your, your storage tank. Bye. Of course, you're out on the farm. You're, brewing, you're making your own ethanol anyway. It probably doesn't matter as much. Then it says, finally, land and resources used to make ethanol are not available for other purposes. This is the most acute in Brazil, where the tropical rainforests have been cleared to grow sugarcane for use in ethanol production. Brazil uses a lot of fuel ethanol. That's too bad. Bottom line, then I'll take a quick. We'll see if Jonathan's coming by or I'm going to read you more stuff. <laughs> I have a bunch of other stuff to do. And it says, for the most part, ethanol doesn't affect you very much. Yes, it does. Yes, you might get a little bit better mileage and performance with pure gasoline, but not enough to upset the cost of buying non-ethanol gas that's available in your region. Yeah, but it's better for the car. That's the other reason I would do it. Article says, according to the U.S. government, all gasoline-powered vehicles can use E10, 10% ethanol, safely. In practice, owners of classic cars have reported that the ethanol tends to dry out and cause decay in older rubber hoses, seals, and diaphragms. If your area offers E15 fuel, uh, so in other words, it's even more inefficient, (laughs) all gas-powered vehicles built after 2001 should be okay, uh, but not all automakers have certified all their vehicles for E15. Check your owner's manual. Bottom line is, if you're the majority of folks who drive a car built after 2001, a space odyssey, my words, ethanol won't harm your vehicle fuel lines or seals. If your car was built before 2001, you'll keep, need to keep an eye on that. But older fuel lines and seals degrade over time anyway. Yeah, right. It's, it's going to happen anyway, ethanol or not. You know, and he says, on a political and science, and science side, the government and industry are working on more efficient ways to produce ethanol. Okay, fine. Then stop subsidizing it. <laughs> yeah. Mostly this revolves around using waste paper, sawdust, and fast-growing grasses. Oh, great. So you're going to grass? Yep. And my car runs on grass, man. Yeah, I was like, it's totally cool. All right, let's take another break, and I'll uh, see which, uh, if Jonathan's going to join us or not. 7.55. i got a couple more things on ethanol, so I might uh, save it for tomorrow. And so we'll see what happens. Anyway, let me play some more stuff here. Uh, okay, be right back. Well, that sounds good. 
Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H-Care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Greatcare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Dangerously cool. All right, so it turns out uh, Jonathan can't make it this morning, but just in case, I had a ton of articles. Um, Jonathan, I've been talking about ethanol uh, and the fact that the uh, um, the last uh, the, the weekend conference, none of the uh, uh, the anti-Trump uh, Republicans running against him and then not apparently against Joe Biden uh, mentioned ethanol. Trump did mention ethanol. He's all for the subsidy. I think he's wrong <laughs> on that, and that's uh, so I've been sort of commenting on that for the last hour. Yeah. Good morning, well, sir. How you doing? Ethanol. Yes, that's ethanol. I'm for ethanol. It's delicious. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I didn't know that. I'd forgotten um, that that, uh, that ethanol in its its natural state is basically moonshine. 
you know, the farmers make it and uh, you can drink it. Uh, but apparently they add, you know, dangerous chemicals. So, of course, putting it in gasoline, you can't drink it either. But apparently it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a salad dressing. It's a, you know, it's a drink. It's moonshine. It's, it's all purpose. You can do a lot of things with ethanol. But what you shouldn't do is put it in your car. <laughs> no, know, I'm, no, I'm scared to eat things. Uh, but, um, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What to, no, but, but um, so you're saying that all the candidates supposedly running against Biden um, didn't, didn't bring it up, though. That is. No, they didn't. <clears throat> no, I, and, I, and I watched a bunch of their speeches. But, uh, here's the one that scares me. Uh, I call him Obama Swami, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, who's, who's earned the title Obama Swami because he looks too much like a young Obama. You know, he is the, the uh, non-white young man who is very articulate, who doesn't have an Indian accent, even though his parents are Indian. Um, and there's just something very wrong about him. And this would be this is a, this is a good question for you. I think there's a psychological operation or a psyop going on. And what he's doing, he's going around saying, uh, if I'm elected president, I'll pardon Trump. And I'm thinking, pardon for what? You, you pardon guilty people. You don't pardon innocent people. What he should be saying is that the prosecutors are bringing about a bogus charge that this is election interference, that this is designed to cost Trump money and time so he campaign properly. It's designed to weaken him as a candidate. It has nothing. To, the charges are irrelevant. That's what he should be saying, but he's not saying that. He's saying, I will pardon Trump of his crimes. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the deep state psyop. All they're doing is, is associating Trump and crimes in the minds of everybody out there while allegedly trying to support Trump, saying, I'll do a good thing for him. I'll pardon him for his crimes. What he's really saying is Trump is guilty of all those crimes. That's how it looks to me. What do you think? Well, I completely agree, but I'm not sure that everybody is quite that smart. Um, well, that's that's why we broadcast it here first. <laughs> right, so, no, but so I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if, if what's his name, how to say his name, is oh, Obama Swami. You know, yeah, I don't know. Well, <laughs> but whatever he goes by, I I don't know if he's actually that smart. No, he um, might not be, but, but, some, uh, but whoever's pulling his strings, this, this is the thing. I want, to, I want to know which globalists are pulling his strings, you know, because he well, said, uh, of course, go ahead. We have, you know, we have three letter agencies and those that we haven't heard of and probably will never hear of um, that have been practicing such tactics, you know, for maybe 150, 200 years on, on uh, you know, small victim countries. And now they're, now they're using it. You know, why not use it on, on unsuspecting Americans? So it's, That's... I don't know that, I don't know that he's that sophisticated, but of course, the, you know, the, the actors who do this stuff have had a lot of experience. So um, mm-hmm. I will, well, was Reagan that. that smart? Was Ronald Reagan that smart? Or did he just say the lines well? Or did he actually believe? I think he believed. Um, but I no, think he also I, had stuff written for him. I, I think Reagan was that smart, but he was also smart enough to, be, to, be, to, to limit himself to just a few objectives. Okay. And so I think within those objectives, he was smart. But, <laughs> well, you know, you question whether wisdom and smart are two different things. Yes. You know, does smart mean that one knows all the nitty gritty details or does, you know, or does wisdom mean they have the gut instincts necessary um, to, to, to do some things? So, you know, I, I know that Reagan had, I think, the wisdom, but uh-huh. he had the wisdom to only try to move the football 
he 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 moved the football for a first down. He didn't, you know, he didn't go for a field goal and the whole thing. And, and maybe that was a mistake. But yeah, see, anyway. I want I want to have the 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 pass heard around the world as far as football goes, or <laughs> the kick heard around the world. You know, I want a, I want a big thing. Um, did you a couple of things I wrote down as you're talking? Um, that did you notice that uh, Niger? or Niger, the country in Africa, and I'm hopefully Pianchi will join us on this. He's, he's well-versed in African countries. Um, but um, an ancient religion in Spain, an ancient church, is really fascinating to, to have him on. But Niger, all the world's leaders are condemning the coup d'etat, and they're demanding that the rightful president be returned to office. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how come we all didn't do that in 2020? <laughs> you know, where were you? So in other words, Niger has a coup d'etat where, where the military ousted the president and they want the real president back. And that's, that's world leaders will condemn that. But in our country where we had a coup d'etat and a total election fraud and the legitimate president, Donald Trump was kicked out uh, forcibly. Oh, I, actually, well, he, I'm not sure what the conditions were, but he left. Right. And so, but that was a coup. He obviously won the election. In fact, he said that uh, in his Erie, Pennsylvania rally um, over the weekend. So I guess it was Friday was the, the the uh the candidates and then he was in pennsylvania no he was there sunday so maybe saturday with the candidates in iowa and then sunday he was in pennsylvania he says look you know pennsylvania we were ahead you know by hundreds of thousands of votes at nine o'clock nine o'clock at night they should have called it for for me in other words donald trump uh and they didn't and we all that we all knew that was going to happen because we had general McInerney on the show and he told us actually he told us a couple of weeks after the election i said this is how it, you know i explained this ahead of time and i remember reading the articles before the election so we got a chance to ask him about that. He said, yep, that's how they did it. That's how they did it. Trump was ahead, and, about and they shut everything down, cooked the numbers. Go ahead. About a year and a half ago here we, on, on the radio, we, there, was a, there was an intermediate court decision um, on how, I think they were mail-in ballots or something, um, were viewed, were called unconstitutional, um, meaning that, and we did the analysis. We put out a press release showing how, uh, because they had the numbers mm-hmm. of, um, you know, it, it's like you can't, you know, one of the one of the evil beauties of um, of election fraud is that you can't go back. You know, once you throw all the all the secret ballots into the pile, you can't go back. And and retrieve them. Right, but that's the whole point. To, when it comes to these categories, they did actually keep track of which, you know, how many ballots came in the normal way and how many bit came in the fraudulent way. Um, and <clears throat> so we, you know, we were able to prove that this meant that um, that the, uh, the the election was was legally, you know, was stolen according to the law of. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 but we, we declared Trump the winner. Remember, we declared Trump the winner in Pennsylvania when we did that yeah. show. <laughs> well, and, and not just out of bravado, but with hard facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we, we weren't kidding, you know. So yeah, I think we're the so, only media um, outlet to do that. Uh huh. But the the the, uh, the highest court in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, you know, turned overturned that about whether whether it was illegal. Uh, whether that, that kind of ballots were illegal, but really that does not change the fact that um, that the uh, that the the 2020 ballot you know election was still was still fraudulent and stolen. I mean, because they were 
they were framing it in terms of whether future uh, elections could be run that way. But it, the, the, the implication of it is that, um, <clears throat> is that if it's unconstitutional to do it that way, mm-hmm. then it couldn't be any more constitutional in 2020 than in 2022 or 2024. You know, if it's yeah. unconstitutional in 2024, it's unconstitutional. And we're talking about the state constitution, by the way, not the federal constitution, although that's in play as well. But um, the, uh, you know, if it's unconstitutional in 2024 going forward, it was just as unconstitutional in 2020. And, you know, so we know by hard facts that Trump won Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so we'll, we'll see. But anyway, so um, <clears throat> I should um, explain, um, I'm sort of on hold. Um, we're in the middle of, um, there's going to be a practice mock trial for oh. uh, a group do of tell. January. Um, and we've been, we haven't been able to do that before because we haven't had the resources, but here, right. here there's one group that has a little bit of money and they, they, um, they're really being railroaded. So they're, they're hiring a practice jury and, um, and they're going to go through a practice trial, um, and uh, I w- and we have people on vacation, so suddenly I had to have the job of uh, for prepare- preparing some exhibits of PowerPoint on a case huh. that I really don't know much about. It's not my case, um, yeah. so I, I really need to finish the PowerPoint, but I don't have the photographs I need to finish it with. So I'm kind of, you know, calling in to you while there's nothing I can do at the moment. Um, If you have to leave at any time, you know, that's perfectly fine. So uh, let's talk about, let's start with whatever you want to talk about first. And then we'll, uh, if we have some more time, um, there's some other stuff. uh, Well, we need to talk about, I mean, obviously there's so much going on. All during mm-hmm. last week, there are things that I thought we should. Oh yeah. We should last about, week was I, I post all the hearings from last week. The UFO hearing, the uh, the, the vac- I couldn't find the vaccine mandate one. I don't know where that one disappeared to, but uh, the gender transitioning hearing, and I think there were and of course JFK's hearing. I think is it last week or the week before? Maybe it's last week. But yeah, is now they got all these hearings done, but now they're on recess. So they they did all these great hearings and they left. Is that is that yeah. typical? I mean, what, what was the they, point? Uh, yeah, it's not. It's yeah. What is it? July and and members of Congress, you know, are on vacation. Well, they're not. They'll 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 stream. They're not on vacation. They're meeting with people in the district. Right. And well, okay. Listen, I don't know how many people are listening this morning, but there's a number of reasons why you need to and get everybody to listen and share this and everything else. But one of them mm-hmm. is the uh, Congress is. I, I haven't heard the formal date when they um when they're reconvening but typically they go out in august and come back in in september um just in time to you know to default on their obligations to pass a budget for the 13 federal departments and agencies which they never do yeah, um, the appropriation bills yeah 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 i mean by in fact it, it's a it's a law so it's kind of like which law is it? Like, I, want to do, I want to do a show on that. Jonathan, which law is it? Do you know, do you know what title and section by chance? Budget Control Act. Budget Control Act? Okay, I'll look it up for... Uh... I guess a year. 
Um, I'll tell you, I'll find and, it. Uh, I'm looking for. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like pass, if I pass a law saying, um, okay, I'm I'm not going to eat and I'm going to exercise an hour a day, and then because I put up you know I put it up on the <coughs> refrigerator, I don't actually have to do it because it's you know it's been decided, but I don't have to actually do it. So so the Congress passes rule about how they're supposed to do the budget, and I don't think they've ever done it once, um, but they've got a rule so. Uh, you know, the rule is that they're supposed to pass a separate appropriations for each of the 13 major departments and agencies and and, right. and areas. And, and, of course, they never do it, so then they end up with a congressional or with a continuing resolution, resolution where um, <clears throat> they throw all kinds of junk in there. Um, I think it may have been during the Reagan years when they were throwing things together at the last minute. And it, it got on the news during a congressional hearing that the official budget, the, the official continuing resolution, excuse me, this wasn't a budget, had, you know, like a woman's name and a phone number on it, mm-hmm. you know, and all, all kinds of like note, you know, people scrawling, uh, you know, notes on the, in the margin that had nothing to do with the, the uh, continuing resolution. And um, <clears throat> they, uh, you know, they were just in such a mad rush. So they probably deserve a raise, I think. So um, <laughs> um, they always think so. But, but people, a couple things that people should understand, though, I was going to say is number one, uh, 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 supposedly when these people go home, they are there to meet with members, with people in their in their districts. You know, the, the Congress has an office in in. Capitol Hill. They also have several district offices back home, and supposedly they're home right now. So if you're a if you're a voter and <clears throat> you want to talk to your member of Congress, you know, go bug them because they're you don't even have to drive to the Washington D.C. Um, and the other thing that comes up, of course, is people. You talked about the congressional hearings. People mm-hmm. uh, don't often know that www.c-span.org, C-SPAN, has um, <clears throat> not only recent um, hearings up so you can watch them after the fact. Mm-hmm. Like you say, well, I missed them. You know, I missed no, you, wa- you watch that. the hearing. <laughs> what, what you do is you wait till the hearing's over, and then you edit out all the Democrats. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. But if you have to listen to the hearing with the Democrats in it, you're going to turn it off because you're going to be so disgusted. Except for the UFO hearing. The Democrats are actually good. It's the first time I've heard decent questions from Democrats. But you, you listen to any other hearing, the Democrats will drive you crazy because their sole job is to lie, to discredit, to distract, to make it Trump's fault, and then blame racism. And so there's no point in listening to them. But if you listen to right. just the Republicans, you get a really decent hearing with decent questions. My problem is that they don't do anything about it once they've had the hearing. It's like, well, okay, we've right. done our bit. We've, we've talked about it. Therefore, you know, that we fulfilled our obligation to disclose the information to the public. Well, where's the, then, then we come in with the bills, you know, and say, okay, we can fix this now because you guys won't, so we will. That, that's where we stand now. Right. And so um, actually there, there are some exceptions. The, um, the uh, um, sexual mutilation of children hearing mm-hmm. um, was very alarming. And hearing the other side um, was useful to see, like, 
oh my God, they really yep. are committed to it. And they believe. I mean, like. They believe this insanity. And these are the same people that were against female genital mutilation. They still don't care about circumcision of young boys, but they're still but female genital mutilation. I'm not going to go into details, but uh, they were against that five years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And now it's okay because well, it's under transitioning, which we know can't be done. They know it can't be done. It's impossible to change oh. your chromosomes. And yet they call it gender affirming care and all for it. And teenagers will commit suicide if we, if we don't uh, take away their body parts and put them on drugs and permanently cripple them. That's well, one insane to me, Jonathan. Members. What's that? Uh, That's one insane. Of yeah. I think it was maybe, uh, what's your name that replaced uh, Liz Cheney in Wyoming? I don't I think know. It but, uh, she's I'm good. usually watching. She's really good. She's got dark hair, glasses. Yeah. She's Margaret, really Margaret. good. Hagerman, yeah. I think, maybe. Hagerman. Um, she's, she's fabulous, yeah. I'm usually doing something else while listening to the radio or the thing. So, um, but, but I think it was her. Mm-hmm. She went through the history of lobotomy very, very quickly. Yes. That yes, she did. They didn't know how to treat certain things. So they engaged in all these ridiculous things like lobotomizing people. Now it's like you know, nobody in their right mind would ever lobotomize somebody. But then do they still the do then, electroshock therapy? Do they still do that? Do you know? I don't know. But her point was, of course, yeah. things that things that are you know just assumed to be true mm-hmm. um, don't stand the test of time. Leeches. And <laughs> bleeding people. <laughs> that that went sure, out. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No, they really did. Practice. I mean, you know, people yeah. people say I, I don't know people. When people say that, they think, you know, that's just a joke. No, they, no. they, they really they really put leeches on people. And, and they knew um, that they were only going to get the bad blood, that the, the leeches would, would forego the good blood, right? I mean, you knew that. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there, you know, there's, a, there's a feature of Game of Thrones. And uh-huh. I wouldn't mention it, except I think the, the social commentary is important. I love that um, show. That's well, fabulous. Of course, people, Swords and babes. You know, what, what, what was not to like? I think right? Babylon B made fun of what, at the time and said that if you took <laughs> the pornography out, the seven years of seasons, you know, would boil down to 20 minutes. Yeah, um, but, <laughs> but, but it's still, you know, I like machinations and politics and things like that. So yeah. <laughs> there's a society that lives on the, in the grasslands, in the savannas. Right. Um, like, you know, nomadic barbarian race of course they're kind of all barbarian game of thrones but um <clears throat> once you get down to it yeah we they are have this, they have this social habit of saying it is known you know so if somebody said you know leeches cure uh you know disease they would all say in unit chant in unison it is known hmm. you know <clears throat> never been tested no, no evidence right. for it it's just a cultural consensus so, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's an interesting commentary because that's what we're doing. Yeah. Masks you know, work. Yeah. Masks will stop yeah. COVID, even though it says on the box, will not stop a virus. It is right. known. It is known. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, just a rumor is just, you know, has to be true. So um, I, I, I just keep thinking. Of it. But the other thing about Game of Thrones that you know, I, I think we should take the first one as a warning, as a okay. social commentary. The second one I think we should adopt wholeheartedly 
oh. is when the people go through the streets ringing a bell and saying, shame, shame. Oh, I like that one. Um, I thought you were going to say bring out your dead, but that was Monty Python. Right. So, um, um, bring out your dead. Not dead yet. Right. But, but, sorry. But the thing is, is that, you know, I, we should follow like members of Congress or other people, ring, you know, in a crowd ringing a bell. Um, so, um, um, Uh-oh. have I disrupted your, your, your train of thought? <laughs> I tend to do that. Hey, what was the British series? Was it M- Mr. Prime Minister or something like that? Because I, I was trying to, I finally oh, found Faulty Towers, line, but right? they, 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 I found Faulty Towers, but they want to charge me on my Roku. So what was the British series you were looking up? Or, well, uh, Prime uh, Minister? From the 80s, it's called the Yes Prime Minister. Actually, it starts yes. out with Yes Minister. Uh, there, there are there's a DVD that has the entire show on it, um, a DVD set, um, and <clears throat> you can pay anywhere from like 39.99 to like. No, I don't want to pay. I want to watch it for free. This is why I have Roku. I pay yeah. for that. <laughs> oh, oh, right. I want to see if I can get it for free. <laughs> Anyway, but I'll, I'll look that one up. You're, you're part of the you're part of the Napster generation. You're part of you're, you're part of the problem. No, I'm part of the entrepreneur poor generation until I make a fortune at, at Action Radio. But uh, yeah, when I get the Ferrari, you'll know I can afford uh, Yes Prime Minister. Anyway, I found Faulty Towers, but they want to charge me for that too. No, All well, right, so Faulty anyway. Towers is funny, but it's not political. Yes yeah, Minister is political. Uh, apparently, there they have this system where so it's a uh-huh. little stark, you know. Where they have the political appointees, right. the members of the members of parliament of the the ruling coalition are assigned to different departments. So that, mm-hmm. like the you know the minister of education is also a member of parliament, right? Um, unlike here, and then they have career civil servant assistants. Mm-hmm. So they're fighting between you know they're constantly fighting between um, the political side. And the career side, it shows all the machinations. And no, it's uh, very we can relate. We we can relate. <laughs> right. I mean, here it's not so quite as a stark of a difference, but you you see the the corruption and the craziness. And you know, for example, there's a nurse who's arrested in, and I'll make this quick. A nurse who's arrested in in a made-up country, come 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 rain or something like that. They make up this, you know, Islamic country. <clears throat> and um, she's she's going to be put on trial for having alcohol with her, and so the um, so the uh, um, you know the, the the foreign office, the like our Department of State, is going through all these you know all, all these empty gestures to mm-hmm. show that they care about this while not actually doing anything, hmm. and so they keep they keep saying that the their you know that their advice is to put out uh, you know very concerned press releases and and uh wor- you know things for the for the mo- the family and then not do anything i mean they're they're pretty they're pretty i mean there's a comedy so they're very they're very explicit about that and um and then jim hacker uh the prime minister you know he he says, well, that's not acceptable, mainly because his wife is bugging him at home. <laughs> and, right. then. and so <clears throat> he comes up with a plan to send somebody. Like there's somebody who wants to go as a, as a go-between 
And so he says, sure. He said, you know, you know, sh- sure, go ahead. And then the civil head of the civil servant goes ballistic because, um, you know, they don't want, you know, the State Department, the Foreign Office doesn't want people, you know, muddying it up. And most of all, they don't want anybody succeeding. Huh. So, um, you know, they keep talking about the power of Islam and all this stuff. So anyway, the guy goes over there and they um, and they get her, they get her released, and you know, and everybody's celebrating, and the the, the uh, civil servant is furious. Civil servants are furious because they they say, "I thought you told us that there was nothing that could be done," and he says, "Well, there, it couldn't have been done if you just taken our advice." <laughs> uh, I mean, because that that I mean that's it's an edu- watching yes minister. He then becomes prime minister is an education. It really is. Right. Anyway, so um, I don't know what's going on here, but um, generally speaking, I want I was going to be very um, uh, depressed here. Why? I'm watching as part of this project. Uh, you know that, that one one of the scams from the um, from the government and the prosecution in January 6th is right. to take, you know, a two hour video and show you like 10 seconds of it. Yep. And so, and of course, most of that stuff, then they, the other scam is they put it all under a protective order so the public can't see it. But the protective order and the law is that as soon as it's used in a court case, it's now public. So more and more of these videos are now becoming public like there's a one from the Nordine Proud Boys trial and I'm watching all of these things where you have you the you know all the audience have seen things that are um, you know familiar clips and I'm watching them to try to find photographs for this case where um, you see you see the entire sequence not edited and i'm thinking you know basically our our um our country is lost um i don't know if you if you put up if anybody actually put up anything with regard to you know they put up with watching the, the select committee i know a lot of people would take the attitude that i, I didn't watch it because it was boring uh i'm background noise from you so i don't know what you're what you're doing there but it's all it's the mic's picking up everything so yeah, like some, not my voice that. No, no, there's like horror screaming and uh, breakfast making and whatever else you're doing. <laughs> it's all coming on. No, no, that uh, might be on the, the channel coming from somewhere. But anyway, so so the thing is, is like there's this place where these lying, uh, cheating police officers. Right. Ah, uh, I mean they're, they're, I mean they're just like they're up there like uh, M in our law firm. You know, just mocks them because these are supposed to be mo- these are supposed to be police officers protecting us, and they're up there. Are these Capitol you know, Hill police? Because if they're Capitol Hill both. police, they're part of the coup. Well, uh, or is it DC police yeah. or, or which, which Capitol, police? The U.S. Cap. Well, no, I mean the U.S. Capitol Police. Their normal day job is to be sort of like the the security guards at Disney World. You yeah, know, where and they're they under they're under the speaker. So and the speaker you know, is part morning, of the coup. You know, have a good, 
Right. Good morning. We're so glad to see you. Come right in. Um, I mean, that's, that's their job. Jonathan. Jonathan, that's, that's exactly what they did January 6th. They opened the doors. Yeah. But, they said, come on in, have a good time. So they're actually doing their job description, as you describe it. That's, that's fascinating. Well, that's true. I mean, it's like they come right in. Here, here's some coupons for lunch at the at – the, Come on uh, down. Trump yeah, supporters, I mean, come on. Welcome to the Capitol. Come on down. Sorry, price is right. Because the, the Capitol is meant <laughs> – to be, you know, a place, you know, a public place for people to come huh? see the art. I mean, the, the government keeps saying in all these January 6th cases that the U.S. Capitol is secured 24 hours a day. Well, <laughs> Walmart is secured 24 hours a day. You know, <laughs> did, your public did you library is secured. So. <laughs> did you see my picture? What? Did you see my picture that I posted on Facebook for my internship when I was 20 years old, 1980? Oh, sitting that what the, that was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it was. <laughs> It wasn't all that secure, was it? Well, it was um, one in the morning. I'm drunk. <laughs> you know, it was after a, a thing called Big Business Day, a Ralph Nader thing I was working on because I was with a consumer group back in my liberal days. And we just hang out in the Capitol. Nobody was around. So we, so it was, let's go to the main hearing room. So we went to the main hearing room, right? And this is all these big hearings you folks see. That's the chair. If you look at my Facebook page, it's there. It's a couple uh-huh. of different places. It's on the comedy page. But that's actually the real chair that the, whoever's running the hearing, the big hearing room, that's where they sit. Those are the real American flags. And the only thing I didn't have was a nameplate. I should have put a nameplate in. But there is a Budweiser can, which, we, which apparently is standing out of my head. And it's just sitting. Of course, it was red, white, and blue, so it matched the flags, right? This, you know, this is not Bud Light. This is real Budweiser. And it, it's a hysterical picture. It was done as a joke. And I got the negative from the person who took it, uh, sent it to my father in Australia. He blew up the picture into this, like, you know, three by five, I mean, three foot by five foot enormous pictures on the wall right now and i didn't put it on facebook but that's you know i'm, I'm an i'm an insurrectionist if you want to think about it that way i was there in the capitol one in the morning and I, you know no one else those of us who were still there we just, and they didn't care nobody cared we weren't doing any damage or anything but we were drinking <laughs> and that was a real bud can and i was i guess the drinking age was 18 at the time well who knows who cares it's too late now anyway <laughs> yeah yeah well but the thing so, is, you know, is when you go into the capitol <clears throat> now, I, 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 I really challenge the government to say if they've changed the law, which I think would have to be pretty clear and explicit, not hidden somewhere, that um, – and, and if you were an intern, you would have a personnel pass, so this might not quite apply to you, but if somebody goes up to the Capitol, shows them their ID, goes mm-hmm. through the magnetometer, they never ask you why you're there. You do not have to tell anybody why you're there. See, I just want to go look at the art. Because I, I, yeah. had, I had jobs where um, I would pass out press releases to all of the con- members. You know, somebody said, which member of Congress are you going to meet? All of them. All of them, yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. going to pass out press releases for, for my boss to all the members of Congress. And we, you know... We could, we had two we could get we got down to where two people could do it in four hours the entire Congress. Wow! And um, you know they never asked us what are we doing here why are we there you know do you have an appointment all they want to do is see an ID and and want mm-hmm. to. We have IDs now by the way did you know that we have IDs available for Action Radio if you ever want to get one for yourself you know simple process but I've already used mine they're fun I didn't know that. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, yeah. So but, uh, it's on my Facebook but, page. I'll, I'll send you. It's in the report. It's in the group. The group chat. If you scroll back up the group chat, you'll see a picture of. Uh, <laughs> and it's actually. But the thing it, is, it can be, the, yeah, the thing ahead. is, the government's flat out lying. Of course, you know it's what they do. They lie. Right. Um, yep. If you've ever heard that, you know that uh, federal prosecutors have a very high conviction rate. It's because they lie. Mm-hmm. They lie and they cheat. Um, mm-hmm. And um, they. Uh, you know, so they so who's going to prosecute you, them? Who's going to prosecute them, Jonathan? Who's well, the judge the federal prosecutor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of that's part of it. But so they they um they go through these things. So <clears throat> they keep saying that the the capital is um, secured and only authorized people are allowed to be there. That's a lie. You can go in there and eat your lunch, looking at uh, Pocahontas, the big, huge, gigantic. Um, oil painting of Pocahontas and the one of, of um, George Washington crossing the Delaware River um, in the Rotunda. You know, you can go there and sit there and eat your lunch. Yeah. Um, there's the cafeteria. That's, you, you go, I, I've done it. I've met citizen activists who go mm-hmm. through there and we'll meet, at, we'll meet at the cafeteria and then we'll go fan out and talk to our members of Congress. Oh, I used to ride the yeah. the the, uh, the little trolleys under the Capitol. You know, the the Senate to House, the Expressway, under the Capitol. That I've ridden that a bunch of times. Yeah, <laughs> Jonathan's done it too. Yeah, I mean, we used to go all over the Capitol. When I was there in 1980, I, we, I mean, in fact, I used to walk in there all the time. You know, and they didn't ask what I was there for, but I was there most of the time in the evenings for the congressional reception, free food. All us interns were poor, so we would uh. subsidize our diet on uh, little finger sandwiches. I ate a, I ate a lot of finger sandwiches that. Uh, that spring semester, my junior year of college. Yeah. Well, I was I was an intern after graduating from college, and I will I, I will I will play one-upsmanship. Um, oh, please we do. We had a very Go for it. very nice <laughs> legislative director, Mitch Bainwall, for mm-hmm. Congressman Kent, Connie Mack, and mm-hmm. on our on our last week of the of internship, I was paid. Everybody else is not. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And um, they um. Um, forget why. I mean, I had a, a college degree. I don't know, but but the thing is, is that um, they, uh, you know, we played we played risk because <laughs> because the member went home, you know. So we're just winding down, and he was right. uh, he was being very nice about the whole thing, and it, Are it was playing with you. The congressman was joining the game, playing risk with you guys. No, he went back to the district, oh. and so. So um, then he took us up to the very top of the dome. I haven't been up there. Even, yeah, even off, me. Oh, nobody, nobody has. Even oh. even authorized personnel cannot just walk up around the dome and walk up to the top and you look outside. Absolutely wow. stunning. I'm and sure. I didn't do anything. I mean, I have to credit Mitch Bainwell completely. Right. Um, I, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Um, but I that didn't was either until now. Now I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I climbed the top of the Eiffel Tower. That was a pretty incredible view, too. But back in uh, uh-huh. 1982, after college, I did my Europe tour, and I actually climbed all 635 whatever steps to the top of the Eiffel Tower. That's, that, now, that's a view of Paris. But, yeah, I didn't make it to the top of the Eiffel Tower. There was someone I wanted to propose to, Oh. and I thought that would be the did, perfect place. Did you take her up there? Uh, it, uh, n- no, it's kind of. Kind of broke down before then. Oh, that would have been a great story. 
That is great. It so been, where fun. is it? Is it up by the up under the Indian statue? I mean, where is this? Yeah, if you look up at the Indian statue really carefully, there's there's a a ridge, uh-huh. uh, which is actually a, a stair. I mean, <clears throat> from so from so far down, it just looks like there's a little extra ridge below right. the Indian statue. But if you get up there, it's actually a ring walkway. You know, it's it's a it's a sidewalk with a um, interesting with a uh, a wall. <laughs> and the view of the area is absolutely just the view of the capital is absolutely stunning. Yep. And yet, um, our capital is now, of course, pure evil and um, you know very very disturbing. So, to to get back on track here, which is no small feat, um, <laughs> I um, I uh, I was in the <coughs> in the the congrat the select committee. The, the U.S. House of Representatives Select Committee for making bleep up about January 6th. Right. Um, they had all these police officers up there crying and weeping, and you know, just you know, if you if if you're in trouble and you want to call 911, it really you know gives you confidence. Um, <laughs> that I mean, the, the, I mean, these macho. Uh, See, that's a good point. This is really important. This struck me too. So, why are these people whining and whimpering like little, you know, like little babies? They're, they're whimpering. What, right. what is going on here? Are these people protecting our, our sacred capital? You know, and they're, they're well, just, watching, they're just like little say, babies. I'm, I'm watching the full video, which is now public. Stupid, but unfortunately, this is radio. Um, and you know, but it, but it's out there in the public. And if you if you see it all continuously, not just not just the lying, dishonest you know, evil, deceitful snippets that they try to put together. Um, <clears throat> and uh, they, uh, it, it shows very clearly um, uh, that, you know, w- w- some of the officers said that they, um, you know, they were slipping on, you know, their feet were slipping on blood. And, of course, the, the, the lying, dishonest, evil member of Congress let that stand as if that was the police officer's blood. It was not. Yeah, they were they were slipping on the blood of demonstrators whom they shot. Wow. Those are the victim. Those are the the demonstrator victims of police brutality, and we've got the so whole who, video in, in in. So who died? So, so, we've got Ashley you, Babbitt. You see the fact that they, they have Boylan. these crowds. Like, what? Who else died? We got Ashley Babbitt, who was they assassinated by Michael Byrd. Joshua Black, Joshua Black had his face blown out on wow. one side, and and another person likewise. Because what happened is is that is that <clears throat> you know, like I said, the U.S. Capitol Police they don't wear body cams, right. but they're they're just basically you know Disney hosts, and fortunately they don't seem to cross dress the way Disney hosts are, are these days, uh, but. Um, the MPD, of course, are a bunch of thugs who, you know, they say there's a thin line between uh, the police and the and street gangs. Well, the MPD, the, the Metropolitan Police Department of, of Washington, D.C., is well past the line into the thug territory. Right. And they're not only thugs, but they're incompetent thugs. Um, you know, for example, the, you see all this thing about, about um, pepper spray and stuff. Um, 
there is, you know, we have the we have the view of where a junior guy is setting up a cannon. This is not just you know tear gas spray. This is a cannon that that is set to 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 put a huge gigantic shell of tear gas into a into a crowd. Mm-hmm. And he keeps telling his superior it's not ready. And the superior keeps yelling hysterically in a panic. I mean, a lot of these police officers were just utterly panicking. I mean, they, 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 they were acting like, you know, this is World War II and, you know, the Nazis are, or World War III, I should say, you know, and the, 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 the Nazis are turning the corner and, you know, this is the end of the world. That's the way they mishandled all this stuff. So he shoots off the cannon. It goes two feet, lands inside the police line, and gasses all the police. Wow. So the, the police, I mean, it's on video. The police gassed the police. And then, of course, in court documents and in Congress, they lie and they blame it on the demonstrators. I mean, the demonstrators didn't have tear gas, but they keep saying that they were tear gassed. Well, yeah, you tear gassed yourself, you numbskulls. And, and a part of that is because they're not trained. You know, Congress is spending trillions of dollars, but they don't spend money on, you know, things like that. And <clears throat> so these guys have not been properly trained. They're not properly drilled. I, don't, I mean, pe- people complained that when they put on their riot helmets, they were so old that the rubber inside had disintegrated. And that meant that so that the helmet was like banging their head as they moved. Right. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure these People, I mean, most of these guys, you know, some of them are just thugs at heart, but, you know, a lot of them are victims of con- congressional neglect um, and, and bad leadership. And not, a, not all the Capitol Police are in on, you know, in on anything. You know, many of them, you know, for example, when we discovered that the Columbus Doors, this big um, 17-foot tall, 10-ton solid bronze doors, mm-hmm. um, could be open from the outside um, and therefore someone on the inside opened it up to let the demonstrators in mm-hmm. it was two US Capitol Police who told me that on a tour a prosecution led tour they waited until their leadership turned the corner and then they then they caught my attention and, and in response to my question nodded you know like the, their heads going you know a foot and a half in it even direction mm-hmm. very emphatic. Wow yeah um, you know, some of them are honest, but they're but they're badly led, and Kevin McCarthy is apparently not too much better. Now, well, it was, we, we know, call him Kevin McDeepstate for a reason. He's been useless. His job is to be uh, the next Paul Ryan. His job is to stop anything decent from coming out of a Republican Congress. We know that. We knew that before he came in. We and he's done well. He hasn't impeached anybody. He hasn't changed anything. He hasn't stopped any spending. Uh, in fact, he's made it worse. He's absolutely useless. But here's the problem, though. You've got some 40,000 hours of videotape. I don't know what, sure what mm-hmm. that means exactly. How can anybody watch all that? You know, unless you've got a yeah. paid staff of several hundred people taking sections and, and going over it. Uh, so what's the website? Is there a website people can see some of this stuff? Because I've been watching Emerald Robinson. has been doing a lot of it. In fact, Emerald Robinson on Lindell TV has been interviewing all kinds of folks from prison. Gee, I wonder where she got that idea from. <laughs> Maybe the video I sent her, you know, or of uh, or the, no, the show I sent her of Stuart I mean, Rhodes. You, yeah, go ahead. You cannot do that. You cannot do. You cannot look at them. You know, okay. they uh, apparently they gave them to 
John Solomon just the news, which of course maybe raises the question: It might be ten years before he watches it all. But yeah. <laughs> he promised to get votes to become speaker that he would release it, and of course, surprise, surprise. No, 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 not to us here. Um, we 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 said this ahead of time: he's not going to do anything positive. He's just not. He can't. He's deep state. Right. He's incapable of doing anything. Useful. So when Matt Cates caved, I'll ask him, if I can get back on the show, that's one of my first questions. Why did you cave? Why did you make an agreement with somebody you knew was never going to honor an agreement? That, to me, is irrational. Well, the, the John Pierce Law Firm, of which I am an um, independent contractor, I can't tell them what to do, but I, I help where I can. Um, <clears throat> they, um, uh, we mentioned here last week that mm-hmm. they had gotten the clerk of court to issue subpoenas to testify in one January 6th case for Ryan Zink, whose father, he was there on Capitol grounds with his father campaigning for office and fact-finding while it, it, his campaign for a Republican, you know, for a Republican member of Congress. Um, and of course they charged him and everything. So um, we issued the subpoenas. They've now been served to the general counsel. So um, Kevin McCarthy has been served to appear and testify. Oh, and, this be interesting. Right, at the moment, it's scheduled for September 5, mm. uh, just the trial starts. And so, so by the time the defense puts on their case, probably mid-September. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that could change. But it also, the subpoena also commands it to bring all the videos with him. Hmm. And all the, and all the documents about, you know, what was going on in the U.S. Capitol Police headquarters, uh, why they decided to, um, you know, to recess and all this other stuff that they've been resisting us for two years. I also served Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. Now, Matt Gates, when it comes to talking, he is awesome. And he's actually... He's actually introduced some bills and things that are absolutely awesome. Well, I want to talk about the birthright bill if you have a, a couple of minutes because it's remarkably similar to the one I gave him five years ago. I mean, remarkably <laughs> similar. The titles are almost yeah, identical. Yeah, that's, that's the way things work. The, the whole thing that's about okay. Article 4, that's know, about okay. invasion. Yeah. Uh-huh. The whole thing about invasion, I, I, I distributed that like 10 years ago. And, and right. eventually some people started talking about, hey, you know what? The, the states have a right to defend themselves against invasion. Like, yeah, I've been telling you that for like 10, 12 years yeah. now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody will give it. Well, just will just give quickly, it. Here's, here's the title of our bill, Revoking Anchor Baby Birth Fraud Citizenship. His bill, End Birthright Citizenship Fraud Act of 2023. And it concerns exactly no, what that, ours concerns. Is that great? Anybody, I have what? never heard anybody use the word fraud in that context. That's, well, that's where Except me, right? Yeah. So we know where this I, came I from, right? So I even, I even emailed all of them. I, I, I said, you know, if you used our bill, all I want is, is a little public credit. Just acknowledge it publicly, either in writing or on a, a new show, preferably both, and just say where you got it from. That's it. That's all I want. He probably doesn't remember where he got it from, but yeah, I agree. Well, it depends who wrote it. I mean, yeah. I mean fraud, is a, fraud is a tip-off that, that he got it from you. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Isn't that wild? I mean, for Larry Clayman, we filed a, a request to revoke Il, Ilhan Omar's citizenship based on fraud. Oh, good. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> of course, I don't think the DHS ever acted on it. Um, of course not. 
but I put a hell of a lot of time and effort into it and to uh, mm-hmm. document the, the exact things and mm-hmm. ask them to investigate. And of course, you know, as, as you know, if you look at my Facebook page, it's different when Democrats do it. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. So anyway, so, um, but it's all, but just uh, to get back to Gates bill real quickly, it's all on the subject of the jurisdiction clause, which is exactly what we've talked about. I redefined it a lot stronger, you know, but he mentions the original 14th amendment debate, which we do, you know, he talks about, about birth fraud, like you were just saying, like we do, you know, so I sent him our bill and said, can you incorporate some of these things into your, his bill is a couple of bad things. He, he wants to give automatic citizenship to refugee kids and to foreign people that are serving in our military. And I disagree with that. The only people who should get uh, citizenship are people born to at least one American parent. Now, here's a question. I, you maybe know this one. I don't know. Uh, if someone's born to a permanent resident, now obviously if they're born in U.S. soil, they're still getting citizenship, even though that's what we're challenging. But by citizenship only, can a, nat- can a, a permanent resident, a green card holder, give birth to an American citizen wherever they are in the world? You mean give birth not in the, on United States soil? Yeah, because the soil part is the problem. No, but, but but pretty sure they cannot. But the thing the thing is, okay. is that this is where there, there, there are raging controversies mm-hmm. um, about you know again I've said the U.S. Constitution is a is a magnificent achievement in human history and human society, but there are places where a couple more words here and there would have <laughs> would have avoided, yeah uh, you know like, centuries like, of controversy yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, for example, when you say that only a natural-born citizen can be uh, president, it might have been nice if you defined what that means to you, mm-hmm. um, you yep. know, and <clears throat> that kind of thing. So, um, uh, it's like a lot of these laws here on January 6th, they talk about, you know, I found out there's laws all over the place that talk about a dangerous weapon. It's never defined anywhere. So you have, you have, you know, people saying, well, you know, you get extra punishment if, if you do this with a dangerous weapon, but nobody knows what a dangerous weapon is. It's like, well, what the yeah. hell? That's what, mm-hmm. what, 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 how is, is that any way to run a railroad? Um, mm-hmm. as they say. So, so anyway, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I'm kind of partial to military, although, um, I would have, you know, I'm thinking maybe of the military of 30 years ago, not the social experiment. Of today, I, I would kind of be suspicious of of these lunatics today uh, running the military. But um, but um, refugees, I mean that I I I, I mean I, I, I well, do right. not comfort. I mean, temporarily. I, I, I the people, That's the problem. I think people they, pushing for that. I, I well, think people pushing for that stuff are dumb. Or they yeah. just think we're dumb. Okay, they just well, think or that both. If, we to, if they pull our our heartstrings, we'll yeah. you know we'll turn off our brains and we'll accept things that make no sense. <laughs> Not on this show. Well, but, I've talked about this. Uh, Pianka and I've talked about this. The Honduran refugees that came here after an earthquake—they're only supposed to be here five years, then they go back. But if they can have automatic yeah. citizenship to their kids wherever they are. Then they don't go back. Part of the thing. Here's the big. Here's the big question, though, and this is going to be the tough one to answer for a lot of politicians. It's going to require supreme willpower, which we know they don't have a lot of, if any. How are we going to correct all those citizenships that were mistakenly given 
Anchor babies were never citizens under the 14th Amendment, which predates them being here by, you know, 130 <laughs> years at this point. So how do we go back and, and make the corrections so that all those anchor babies and all those descendants, all those folks, have their citizenship corrected to their correct citizenship? And then the question is, what do we do with them? Do we give them a new status, permanent non-citizen, unless they go you know, register and do the immigration process like everybody else? But we've got to correct this or it's going to continue. So just saying, as Gates says, we're not going to take any further people <laughs> negates the 20 to 30 million people, plus all the birth tourism, plus all the illegal aliens, plus the refugees, plus anybody else that's shown up here you know, to have a kid, you know, uh, we have to reverse it because, and I, I use the examples like a bank. If a bank, if you, if you request a $200 deposit at the ATM and it gives you $200,000, you don't get to keep the money. That's called a mistake. So mistakes can be corrected. Mm-hmm. So all these citizenships are mistakes because they're, they're not based on, a, on, a, on the Constitution, which says the reverse exactly. They're not based on a law because there isn't one. And it would be a contrary to the 14th Amendment anyway. It, and it's not even a policy that anybody can find. They're just doing it. So how do we reverse... 20 years, let's go back to Clinton. Let's just say 1992. How do we reverse, you know, 20 years of mistakenly given citizenships? How do we correct that? That's the big question well, for me. I, 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 I don't know. And, of course, there's no political will to do it. But <clears throat> one of the things we filed with, you know, that I wrote for Ilhan Omar is that um, unlike citizenship at birth, someone who is naturalized can be can have their citizenship stripped yep if if there was fraud in the in the process oh lots of so ways. i mean that's, that's the that's law now they, so they lie. yeah what? They teach us that in citizenship, when we go through citizenship, they tell us if we serve in a foreign government, if we serve in a foreign military, there's about four or five reasons that you can, as a naturalized American, which I am, can lose citizen. If I went to Canada, which I can do any time, Canada still considers me Canadian. If I walk back in there and take a position with the Canadian government, U.S. government can take my citizenship like that. So that's mm-hmm. why I never do it. Yeah. <clears throat> or more like with Ilhan Omar, it was a question of if you if somebody lies on their application yep it's like you were you know you were a warlord and you said like oh no i've never done anything like that and then it comes out um then um then um uh then uh you know then, then the application can be invalidated and it can be withdrawn Mm-hmm. Um, well, or revoked. Well, what about if she works for the Samoan government anytime after she got her citizenship or applied for it? That well, would be a violation. Well, yeah, but those are two different categories. Okay. The, <clears throat> the issue is that she committed immigration fraud, although actually Ilhan Omar committed fraud to get her brother status, not to get her own status. But it's still immigration fraud. Fraud and, is fraud. And so it would, I mean, if she had lied about her um, <clears throat> herself, then her citizenship can be invalidated, hmm. um, and and probably if she's done the other thing too. Um, how much time so do we have here now? Oh, well, just as Dorothy shows up, which usually she's pretty good about uh, being on time, so I'd say five minutes. Um, did you want to talk about any of the hearings? I think the UFO is probably the most interesting, well, but yeah, any I of the mean, hearings I... are fair game. The UF, the, okay, you know, I, I don't know, because I was very, dis, I wish I could find it. I was very disappointed to read a scientific article about five, ten years ago in which, um, in which um, <clears throat> they, um, 
Uh, they say it's, it's scientifically impossible to go to the nearest star because there's just, if we, if we, if we consumed all the energy on Earth, mm-hmm. it would take thousands of years to get to Alpha Centauri. And mm-hmm. I wish we could travel. But I think the government has done everything it possibly can to convince us that there are UFOs by denying that there are UFOs in a ham-handed and clumsy manner that nobody <laughs> believes. So it's a psyop? You're saying it's a psychological I mean, operation? I've been watching this, what, for 30, for 30 years, and like, uh-huh. oh, come on. I mean, it, you know, it, <laughs> they're, they're denying that there are UFOs, and, and by the time you're done listening, you say, yep, there are UFOs. Um, and, you know, so it's just, it's weird. It's just, now, I do, you know, people are saying that when Hunter Biden's, you know, I mean, when Joe Biden is exposed as at the head of a massive bribery scandal um, involving we'll, we'll, <laughs> money laundering. We'll see, uh, we'll see a spaceship at that point? That... <laughs> yeah, suddenly, suddenly we want to talk about UFOs. Okay. I mean, they've had like what? They've had like from the 1950s to talk about UFOs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. today, today we have to talk about UFOs after like the 19, from the 1950s until now. Suddenly, right. this is well, the day to talk about your question. I'll ask you a legal question in, in the interest of time. The um, Judge Doughty um, put an injunction on the entire illegal brand and insurrection from communicating with social media. Then there was a state put on that for some reason I cannot figure. So what is, what is the status of that? Can they, can they now go back and do what, they were, what the judge specifically said they couldn't do because there's a state yes, on what he they, said they yes, couldn't do? They can. The, the, the preliminary injunction... It was full of holes to begin with. Remember, okay. I've explained that, that a preliminary injunction is while the case proceeds. Right. So if it's a stay or a preliminary injunction, it does not mean that this is the end of the story on the case. Right. Um, the case will still go to trial. There'll be discovery. The evidence, mm-hmm. excuse me, available may improve. Um, but it does signal, because the judge is required, and it's kind of weird, uh, to predict whether or not one side or the other is likely to win, which of course is impossible, but the judge is required to make a guesstimate as to whether there's a reasonable chance that that the side asking for the stay or the, the injunction is going is likely to win. Now, by the time you go all the way through the case, like you're gathering additional evidence, you're doing discovery, you're doing depositions, so the case might look very differently by the time it, it goes to trial than it does okay. at the injunction stage. But um, uh, the, <clears throat> the terminology the Supreme Court used was, was rather unusual. It did not overturn the injunction. It right. did not give any reason. It claimed well, that's that it the, There's it no in. reason. That's, that's the part I know. So it's, just, it's like three lines. Oh, you can't do it. Your, your, your injunctions. But, but, but it was also, state. it was also free. I mean, the only thing that they specified is that it was an administrative stay. Oh, which I've never heard of before. What's that mean? But, but they, they tend to signal that this is not on the substance. This is just, uh, I mean, cause actually didn't, um, you know, again, the Supreme court all left. They, mm-hmm. they, they did great. They, 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 they had done enough damage for one year and they all, they, so they're they on vacation, that. right? Yeah, they're all they're all, they're all getting, um, you know. So they're on a beach they, in Italy yeah. somewhere. Yeah, okay. Well, or they're probably speaking to some left wing. You know, they're probably lunching with Klaus. Yeah. What's his name? But here's the, the problem. 
Yeah, but the the problem for me is that the damage continues. If this is as critical as as we all know it is, that they've been colluding with social media in a fascist government private industry cabal, uh, and they're doing damage to the election. We're in election season, so they're they're actually allowing election interference by putting a stay on something to stop these people from talking to each other. They shouldn't be talking to each other anyway. So I don't believe that stay was legitimate. But what does this mean for – how long is this going to go on? How long are they going to – But again, using the word administrative stay, which practically nobody's ever heard of, right. indicates to me that it's just a housekeeping thing. Like maybe they can't get in contact with all of the justices who are scattered around the world, you know, um, <clears throat> being feted and – and well, why did they have to do it at all? And Dorothy's online, so we'll, we'll kind of t- this will be our last issue. But why did they have to do it at all? Why couldn't they just let the injunction stand and stop Brandon from talking to social media? As, you know, because the the evidence was so overwhelming that that's what they're doing, and it's dangerous. They're, it's absolute censorship. It's very, it's very, um, it's a very unusual thing. And, and okay. but, but again, the you know the government was saying, well, we have to talk to social media. You know, wait for it. I mean, okay, what are our choices? For the children uh, or for national security? You know, what, what are the, you know, maybe to, to stop crime? You know, the old, bring it, you know, dust off the old hits. And, and so, but again, we talked last week. Well, why the heck do you have to involve social media? If you have some information of a crime, go arrest them. You, yep. know, you know, forget, don't bother social media. Go, you know, Go send the 20 FBI agents that you're harassing grandmothers with and, uh, you know, go arrest people. Just leave, leave you know, Facebook out of it. Um, but so, so they had this, this pitch that, oh, it might bring, it might interfere with, uh, you know, with national security or something like that. Well, I, how is that exactly? Well, it's, so, it's, they say misinformation. You know, so, That's the big thing. But the thing is, they define misinformation, as we all know, as anything that they don't like. So the people who are doing the, the colluding are the ones who are defining what information you can read. Well, that in itself is evidence to me that you should stop them doing it while this is going on. In other words, in a trial, this is my last question, in a trial, doesn't it make sense to stop a potentially, or in this case, I know, illegal activity while the trial is going on? Because the irreparable harm that can be done you know, during the course of the trial you know, if you let people do what, you, what they're in trial for accused of doing and you're still letting them do it, you know, I mean, granted, there's innocent until proven guilty. I understand that. But in this case, it would not hurt the government uh, to not um, censor. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is they, they, tried to, they tried to bring out the violins and say they would hurt the government. And, and, oh. and so somebody in the Supreme Court fell for it. That, okay. You know, that, well, you know, that there might be harm. If we, you know, if we, which liberal? Uh, if we so this only took one liberal judge to okay it in the Supreme Court. Um, typically, things like that could be done by. Typically, the, the Supreme Court justices are assigned to uh, certain circuits, and they have right. primary oversight of those circuits. And so that justice has the power to do. Do we know who it is? I don't. I haven't okay. looked it up. We'll save it for next week. Next week, I want to do right. Israeli judicial reform, too, because I've been studying that. That's quite fascinating. All. Thank you, sir. All right. Talk later. Sorry. Okay, to thanks, Jonathan. It's okay. No, no, no problem at all. No, it was, we, we need to kind of sum it all up anyway. Uh, good luck with the people you're working with. All right. With, but we, we'll but we are all doomed, just so you know. 
Oh, thanks. Thanks for that cheery note. On that happy note, let's, let's totally change our conversation here. Jonathan says we're doomed. I get, I get better news for you. All right. Okay. See you. Bye now. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Yeah, the greatest transition we do all week is uh, on sex and politics today. We're done with politics. Now we're going to talk about sex. Similar in many I ways. I love it. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. So I, I really yeah, want to Yeah, I that. love that we transition. Yeah, I listened to the end. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Sorry. Yep. I listened right. to the end. I listened to the end of the last segment. Did you say Israeli judicial review? What did you say yes, there? Oh, yeah, so that. I've been looking into it for a few weeks. It's, uh, if you want to catch the history, go to our Action Radio International News Mm-mm. Group page. So we have, yeah, a, no. we, have a lot of, mm-hmm. we have a lot of news on that. But what's happening in yeah, Israel? Yeah, not my thing. Um, well, okay, fine. Then I'll just tell you. <laughs> I mean, you so, can summarize it. I just, I honestly was just like, oh. Wow, we are transitioning from like topics in time. Like that sounds oh, yeah, yeah. like so a this heavy, is big, heavy yep. situation. Well, this is why I love, you know I love talking to you because I don't want to talk about this stuff all the time. I do it so much, <laughs> uh, and everybody needs an outlet. And everybody needs to uh, get in touch with uh, your central side, you know. And so that's where we're going to yeah. uh, we're going to talk about that. But just I'll tell you really quickly. There's a big um, push in in Israel for what they're calling judicial reform, and so the question is. Uh, and it's all being misnamed and mischaracterized. So is their court going to have um, limited powers like they do now, or are they going to be more like our court with a, what they call judicial review, where they can interpret the Constitution, do whatever they please? There's a big mm-hmm. controversy. And I, I'll be explaining it when I have to learn more about it. But I'll take that on probably next Monday so that Jonathan can follow up with it uh, in the hour after me. But it's fascinating. This morning we did ethanol and, and why we don't need to put salad dressing uh, in our uh, – in our vehicles. And what I had it described in one article is moonshine. Ethanol is moonshine. So, you know, you're running, you know, name running car in moonshine. Eat out there in Tennessee, you know, make a hill and you get some corn squeezings and you put it in your car and it runs just great. Damn. <laughs> Sorry. Hmm. Back to you, Dorothy. Uh, well, I have, friends that, I have some friends from Australia that Did built I? a car, ba- um, that, built a car mm-hmm. that built a car, that built a car, uh, running on biodiesel and uh-huh. um, restaurant waste. They drove it across the United States and back, did a documentary on it. It was beautiful, and they were just trying to show how you can absolutely fuel cars on. You don't need to rely on big oil. I thought that was really lovely. Well, and here's the funny thing, too. The thing we talked about is that oil is a biofuel. I mean, it comes from the ground. It is organic material, plant and animal material, mostly plant, mostly algae. Billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of tons of, you know, this mud organic mixture that becomes uh, hydrocarbon. In other words, carbon and hydrogen, you know, which uh, gets compressed and turned into oil, coal, natural gas, and can be made into gasoline for your car. And when mixed with oxygen, it burns. Now, what's really fascinating, you might find this interesting being a nutritionist, is that hydrocarbons mixed with oxygen in your, in your fuel injectors and in your carburetors, uh, and then that mixture is burnt, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. 
Well, that's the same basic formula as carbohydrates, which are burned in your body and oxygenated. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, oxygen are carbohydrates. In other words, sugars. <laughs> Complex ones are starches, which is equivalent to a higher octane rating of fuel. They're almost the same thing. So the internal combustion engine burns exactly the same things that we do, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. I found that fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, I, that my brain isn't geared for that right now. Okay, at well, all, let's talk about coffee. It is definitely Let's talk about a, a sensual <laughs> life as using your senses as opposed to a compartmentalized business, you know, uh, contract life, what most Americans live. Mm. Mm. That was a good topic. I had, um, I had uh, several for today, really good conversations this week with a mm-hmm. lot of friends and, um, and peers. And so really trying to decide for today was challenging in a good way. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like the direction you're going. And, and we, you know, our main themes are sensuality uh, and sexuality. So let's, let's go with sensual life. We've touched on it before, but mm-hmm. um, really important. And I don't, I don't think people realize, most people, how, how this can be the, actually the key to a really happy, blissful life as well as to a healthy, intimate partnership. So um, well, focusing about it. See on what you think. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell me what you've, uh, revelations, conversations, and uh, dissertations. Ooh, I like that. I might use that again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you mentioned the coffee shop. So let's just take a walk through the coffee shop. Let's take, let's take a walk from two different perspectives. Through, you know, okay. the entire experience. So, sorry, you're hearing water right now because I spilled something. I'm in my oh. real life home environment. That's okay. Jonathan was making and, um, breakfast in the previous hour, so yeah, we get all the background I love noises. that. <laughs> I terrible. love that. I think it makes oh, yeah. people feel like we're real. And um, we real. my favorite yeah. guy, my handyman slash contractor is here, and I haven't seen him in a long time. And okay. He's going to gonna, um, look at my – well, the interesting thing, and you know me, is that I've actually had multiple conversations with him. Um, he's in a marriage with two young children, and we've had multiple conversations Um I'm referencing on the air our conversations. I'm sorry. That's just what I do. Let me go by here. So not only is he um, putting beautiful tile in my foyer, he also has a lovely wife, two small children, a very strong faith base, a, um, a really um, at a strong <clears throat> commitment to his own physical health and body. And um, so we've had really good conversations about uh, marriage and intimacy and what it takes and the challenges. So it's really I love those kind of people around me. So let's well, let, let him listen to some of our reports uh, and then ask him <laughs> if he wants to come on the show with you sometime. That'd be great. That'd be a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Small business owner. Okay. Um, young guy, faith-based, married, small children. Sounds like a real man. He is. Yeah. Not a squishy metrosexual. Kind. Yeah. Okay. And he's squishy also. Oh, he is squishy also. So as, oh, okay. as a woman... You know, I, as a woman living alone, I've had to deal with um, multiple kinds of workers and service providers, and most oh, of them are men. Oh, I can and only guess. I've had, yeah. I've, I've been treated very poorly, and I'm not really a oh. feminist, and I'm not really a poor as me, but I've been treated really poorly and had a man step in and say the same things I say and, and get responded to quite well. This gentleman that I'm talking about right now has never done that. He listens, he hears me, he takes care of what I need, and he um, does it all professionally. Yeah, he would be a good guest to have. Yeah, he would. I'll ask him. Okay. But, but I always like to listen to what we do. I, I, mm-hmm. I never like to ambush anybody, so I always like to get them prepared, you know, before they come on. So it's like, oh, I didn't think you were going to do that. And it's like, yeah, we do. 
<laughs> so I just want people to know that. Whatever happens. Oh, happens. yeah. Yeah. Andy, so we'd I like you to come sh- on the air sometime and share your views on being a small business owner, married yeah. with small children. Yeah. And um, Are you talking to him right now? Yeah. He, he said yes. He's good. He okay, good. To. Good. Well, like I said, okay. if he wants to, if he can, if he can listen to the show now on his phone while we're doing it, that might even be better. I want to talk about the coffee shop now. I'll send him the I'm show sorry. later. Okay. Because it's such a good idea, and I was going to do how to manifest your dream partner, which is also a great topic. Uh, oh but yes. But then is. I started. In, <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. So two different scenarios. One, uh-huh. you want a cup of coffee in the morning. You're on your way to work. Um, you're, you're texting, catching up on phone calls, kind of walking in the coffee shop, looking at your phone. Um, you, it registers on some part of your mind that you're waiting in line. And so you're like, well, I'm going to multitask and focus on your phone and your to-do list. It's your turn. You look up, um, yeah, I'll just take the, you know, and you give your order and go right back to your phone and pay, um, grab your coffee and go out to your car and move on and that's one approach to grabbing your coffee in the morning. Right. And, and we can feel how that feels in our body to be that person for a moment and just kind of, what does I that know, I feel, feel sick like? Already. The... <laughs> just, every, every fiber of my being is going, <laughs> no. Anyway. Yeah. It feels a little, no, yeah. you're right. It feels, and I like to feel this in my feminine body. Like, what does that feel like? It feels a little stressed. It feels a little disconnected. It feels, like I'm one step ahead of the present moment or five steps ahead. And, you know, all I'm really focused on is what I haven't done yet and who is asking me for the next thing and what I should be doing and why is this line not moving faster and, you know, why don't they have the milk I want and, oh, forget about it, who cares, you know, this dumb young chick at the coffee at the register is just, an idiot, you know, I'm like, whatever these thoughts are, right? And then in my mm-hmm. car, and maybe halfway looking as I back out, almost hitting somebody, maybe my coffee sloshes a little bit, and I'm cursing. And so this is a way to live life. And this is a familiar way to a lot of people. And it probably feels familiar. Um, and, and I think to a lot of us, it actually looks normal. And it looks maybe admirable, even like, wow, how busy she must be really accomplishing a lot. This is just life. This is how it is. Oh, it's stressful. Oh, that's just how it is. Busy, busy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like and this- my, my male body is, you say you're female, my male body is feeling like I'm in a prison, like I'm controlled, like I'm on somebody yeah. else's schedule, that I'm always behind. I'll never be good enough for whatever's going on. I can't accomplish what I want to accomplish. My male body is feeling controlled and imprisoned. And so it's oh, different than, than what you're feeling, that. but it's, it's, it's a two different reactions to the same scenario, but both our reactions are bad. And yet... Yeah. Most people I'm until we talk like about this. Not enough. I'm, my feeling yeah. is I'm slaves to not enough. I'll never be enough. I'll never get it all done. Right. You know, have I gotten it done yet? Have I done enough yet? Have I done enough for them? You know, mm-hmm. for whoever yeah. it is I'm trying to prove myself to, right? Yeah. I'm thinking, look at these demands. I can't meet the schedule. This is an impossible task. Why am I in this situation anyway? I don't have time for my coffee. I don't have time for anything. I just don't have time. I just, I, I'll do it because I have to, but I just, you know. And, and immediately it's stress. Both of these create stress. And yet, until we talked about this, most people would, would actually do that and not recognize it as a problem. Like you say, it's so no. internalized now that this is normal. And other people watching everybody else do this thing that they do, this dance, um, they don't understand because they've never thought about it as being a problem, which is why we're talking about it today. 
Well, it's imbued in our culture. Think about TV. I mean, you can look and see this being normalized. It's normalized on purpose, I think. And um, if you have a stressed out person, you have high cortisol levels, you have disease, you have definitely impending diseases, diseases coming. And I don't want to get too far into this, but there's three um, big, um, I don't, shame, abandonment, and betrayal. So a lot of these behaviors, these addictive behaviors to being busy stem from one of those wounds that come from childhood. And we're trying to meet the need of being good enough. Yeah, and, and we need to show it, on each one. And of it those. actually leads to disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make a note. We need to show on each one of those topics. Yeah. Or at least yeah, one show and, with and all I three. Always, yeah. And I like to alchemize it. So by the end of the show, we're definitely talking about how we shake off those chains, right? Okay. Okay. So let's have the second scenario for the coffee shop. Oh, this mm-hmm. is going to be a good one. And you made a video. <laughs> this is what gave me an idea. You made a video of exactly what we're going to be talking about now, which is fabulous. <laughs> You're absolutely yeah, gorgeous, I mean, by the way. I love you in your video. I get the big smile on your face. You're happy. I mean, it's just, it's just you know, it's, it's wonderful. Brighten my uh, whole day. Thank you. And, I, and then after I watched it, and I was like, Dorothy, you could have swallowed your food first. It was just so yummy. What I, was <laughs> I eating, never noticed that, I realized that, when I made the video, yeah, I was actually still swallowing and, like, licking my lips. And <laughs> well, so you're natural. But, okay. See, now, that's, that's interesting <laughs> that you're, you're not so worried about yourself that you can't be your natural self. You just turn the camera on and just go for it. So that's uh, that's actually that's good the quality. only way it turns. That's the only way it turns out well. When you try to yep. take too many takes, it, it has a feeling of inauthenticity, and then it's boring. But, Why do you think okay. we don't edit this so, show? There's no editing at Action Radio. It's all live. It goes on the podcast live. You know, good or bad, mistakes or, or triumphs, it all goes on because that's life. I don't want to edit. I want to live it. That's right, and it's so much yeah. more relatable. Okay, here's our mm-hmm. second coffee shop, and then you add anything you want to because this is just my coffee shop experience. Oh, you so, know I will. Go ahead. <laughs> you pull up, and you're, and, and it's the same coffee shop you go to regularly, so they know you, and that's a good mm-hmm. feeling. And you're curious, mm-hmm. oh, I wonder who's working today. And you pull in, and your favorite spot is open right in front. And if mm-hmm. it's not, instead of like, oh, who are all these people at my coffee shop? Instead, you get to park down the street, and you get to walk, and now you get to breathe the fresh air, and you get to get a little more exercise. And that mm-hmm. feels good, too. And you feel the warm sun on your shoulders. And, and you maybe smile to construction workers. And maybe they whistle at you. And you know that doesn't mean it because you're a trashy piece of A. It means because you're a beautiful woman. And so you smile and wave back. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't know. Attitude is everything. My Attitude is everything. I think the, the older yeah. I get, the more I don't mind if the construction workers <laughs> whistle. <laughs> <laughs> um, Why don't you and whistle back so at them? See, progress uh, is when right. you whistle well, at them, and you go, "Dude, you look fabulous! You'll make you'll make his day." Go ahead, just, just whistle at a at a construction dude. Go ahead, be great. See I like happens. to say things like, "Wow, that's a big job." <laughs> things yeah, like that. Uh huh. Okay, fine. Well, because you know, because it is, okay. it looks like hard work, mm-hmm. and I feel like somebody should acknowledge that. Wow, what they're doing is really no, just, hard. No, just and as an experiment. Done. We're a little off topic here, but the, the stereotype is mm-hmm. that construction guys, you know, whistle at babes and, uh, you know, make us night comments and things like that. There actually was a Saturday Night Live skit where Dan Aykroyd was playing a harassed male construction worker. And all these women were like, hey, baby <laughs> gigs, yeah, yeah, show me what you got kind of thing. It was hysterical. But just as an experiment in real life, you know, because that's TV. But in real life, if you go past by a couple of construction workers to say, dude, you guys look fabulous. You know, you've made my day. Just tell me what happens. 
I think they would love it. From what I know about men, and mm-hmm. I love men, they would be mm-hmm. very, I, I, you know, anytime I interact in a tiny flirtatious to mm-hmm. a masculine man like that, just not, mm-hmm. I'm not aggressive, but like no. the reception is beautiful and the reception mm-hmm. is very pleased. And I don't think men get to hear enough um, good things about themselves. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you right you know? now, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, though, if, you, if your car bells out in traffic and, and two guys help you, it'll probably be those two guys. It will come back to you. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you know what they ask for in return? And this is what our culture doesn't tell us. Our culture lies about this. What do you think they want in return? You know the answer, but I wonder what Nothing. a lot of women would say. Nothing. They want anything in return. Mm. I really think what they love is thank you so much. That really helps me. Oh, they, um, I can't tell you how appreciative I am. I was so I was a little scared, and um, I didn't know how I was going to get out of the situation. And I'm talking a lot. You don't even have to say all this, but really, yeah. like I, I really appreciate how much you helped me. Thank you. That mm-hmm. that is that is literally the gold. You're pouring gold into their yeah. heart, into the masculine Absolutely. heart. Yep. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Completely. Let's go back to the coffee. So here, we're walking into the coffee shop in the warm sun. On the, and even if it's raining, the rain is, I'm noticing the rain is cleansing the earth around me. It's washing the, the, the trash and the little bits of yucky into the, into the gutter. I'm not going to think about the storm water. It's fine. We have a filter mm-hmm. plant. But I'm just thinking it's cleaning the earth. The trees are happy. The flowers are happy. And, um, and you know, my hair actually looks good when it's a little frizzy. I kind of look like a wild woman. I'm not going to think about that either. And, um, and I go into my coffee shop and there's, you know, let's say it's my favorite barista and they smile at me and say, hi, Dorothy. Or let's say that they're too busy and they don't even notice me. So if they don't notice me, my first thought is, wow, she's really busy. I'm going to make sure I say some connected nice thing to her when I get up there. And if she notices me, then my heart smiles like, oh, hi, Marissa. How are you? That's just the name of somebody at my coffee shop. But mm-hmm. um, wow, I love We'll get her on I the show, too. And- we'll do a show from the coffee shop. <laughs> I- you have to do a report from the coffee shop. We'll, we'll work on that, too. I love your hair and braids or, Ooh, is that necklace a crystal? That's beautiful. Oh yeah. My grandmother gave it to me, you know, and if there's a line, great. I maybe get to smile at someone. I stand behind a man who's working for, I mean, you know, maybe a security guard and I might say, or a woman and I might say busy day today or, Oh, you're on this college campus. How's that going? Like I might even ask them about, their day and and just spread a little connection because I actually am curious like what would it be like to be a female security guard I would be terrible at that um <laughs> yeah maybe and, I, I wouldn't be good as a security I, guard I'd be too friendly hey come on in what do you want to talk about you know I mean I'd be, I'd be I mean I don't want to go against anyone who's violating a security rule I don't want to have that conflict chances are um, we would be violating the security rule and be like going all places we're not supposed to and, and asking questions. Come on, why can't I go here? It's not permitted. I don't care. It's interesting. Let's go. You know, you know so. I mean, not intentionally. I do tell my kids it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> See, I've never understood that phrase. Isn't it better to ask permission? Mm. Why would you, why would you um, so do forgiveness, something you purposely? Let's, okay, hold on. Let's all say right. that, let's say we're not quite sure. Uh, for instance, so I'm not going to get too far into this, but I roll my own no. smokable herb mix now. Um, it's organically sourced um, tobacco and Mullen Damiana mugwort calendula. They're lung healing. I don't huh? believe tobacco causes cancer. I believe tobacco is healing and that we've been lied to. Don't get me started. But no, for example, I have yeah. beautiful um, hand-rolled organic cigarettes 
And when I have a little glass of wine at a restaurant or um, I'm journaling somewhere, sometimes I just want to have one. So then I think to myself, oh, my goodness, am I allowed to have this here? And so that, for example, if I know that I'm away from people and I know that I'm, I'm going to go, I'm not going to go try to ask someone. Like, I'm not going to ask the proprietor of the restaurant. I'm going to oh. use my own judgment. And then if they say to me, oh, you can't smoke here. You have to step outside this boundary. I'll say, oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. Thank you. But, like, that's just one example. I'm, I know I'm not hurting anyone. The rule is probably arbitrary. The rule, you know, you make your own judgment. So I tell my kids sometimes it's better if, if you want to do something, not to just nitpick. There's so many rules in our country, especially, and not necessarily for our safety. And so um, I tell them better use your own judgment. And sometimes okay. you just need to do something that needs to be done. Hmm. And so asking, asking forgiveness instead of permission sometimes. Does that make sense? It does, but I look at it a different way. To me, I'm thinking much mm. to myself, why would I do something I knew I might have to ask forgiveness for? It, it already means I know I shouldn't be doing it, probably. Or no, you're, something you're that's not questionable. Sure. Maybe you're not sure. Yeah, you're not sure. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's no one around it, to ask right now. And yeah. like, um, am I allowed to decorate? Okay, I'm going to a park. It's my friend's birthday. Can I put up some decorations? All, can I hang some decorations from the trees? I mean, it's not going to hurt anything. I'm going to take it all down. And, right. and I'm not going to okay. spend the time to go find a park ranger I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Like, like there's a lot of situations like that. So just, oh, I, see I tell my okay. kids. But anyway. Makes sense. Yeah. Back to the coffee shop. Okay. Back to the coffee shop. So um, I can make an intentional decision each moment. Do I move towards connection, joy, and pleasure and positive thought? And, and how do I make someone else's day better? Or do I grumble and think about how I'm being afflicted and I'm in a, you know, and once you're in that mentality of negativity, it takes some effort to get yourself out. So just be very aware of your thoughts because it can mm-hmm. be a very slippery slope, you know? Um, mm. And, and, you know, look for ways that the universe is kind to you. Look for ways that God is showing you love and support all around you. Right. And, um, and I get up there and they're out of my oat milk. And so now I get to try a different beverage or I can say, wow, yeah, I think milk. God's telling me. Goat milk. Instead of oat milk. Well, God, maybe God's telling me to have tea today. I've been having too much coffee. Maybe mm. this is God's way of saying, hey, Dorothy, it's time to have an herbal cleansing tea. And, um, or, you know, whatever. So just um, think of everything as a blessing, yeah? Mm-hmm. And you notice um, something beautiful, like I said, about the barista or about the cash register person. And you choose a coffee that your body or a drink that your body is aligned with. And so this is a whole nother thing about nutrition, right? And I'm sure you've mm-hmm. done this. Like you can actually close your eyes or just ask your body, what do you need today? And, and I haven't done that, the different... mm-hmm. but I could, it's an interesting thought. I'll have to give that, a, uh, give that a try. Okay. Yeah. So if you can't decide what, what tea to order, really you can look at them, close your eyes and ask your body and you're, you'll, it'll, one of them will pop in your head. It's very interesting. I think and I have then done just that. go just ahead like and order that. And see, you know, which, 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 uh, or open up and I like tend to look at the one I'm going to order. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're very yeah. intuitive and angels and our guides and our higher self speaks to us all the time. If we'll just listen. And sometimes huh. it's like it's something your body needs, like peppermint, you know, mint is very good for the GI system and for uplifting and waking us up. And um, another tea, you know, green tea obviously is an antioxidant. So if you're fighting um, maybe some mutated cells or um, some aging, like your body can tell you. So let it be a gift, even the choice. Don't go into the same thing you always get. Maybe if you get mm-hmm. a latte, you decide to add cinnamon or you have a mushroom powder you bring with you and you, you can add that and just oh, make mushroom it very powder. special. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah, there's now, a lady in your neck of the woods that makes beautiful mushroom powders. I can send you the link. She's okay. they're excellent. Oh, we've got mm-hmm. a ton of, of healers and interesting people around here. You should come through on a visit sometime. <laughs> I'll, I'll introduce you to some folks, and uh, you, you probably have a great time. <laughs> yeah. Um, my turn for the coffee Please, shop? anytime. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the reason, the thing that struck me uh, most about this is the difference between Europeans and Americans. And uh, when, I, when I say sensual, I don't mean, you know, in terms of sex. I mean you, where the word comes from, senses. And everything you described, um, although, well, what, what's the part of your brain that does the logic and the, 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 the conscious intelligence? Is that the cerebellum? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, balance. The, the, I would think cerebellum part? is balance, proprioception. Okay, all right, cerebellum. So that's your intellectual part. So you're very intellectualizing when you talk about this. I'm not critical. I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize, mm. but I, we look at this in two different ways. And so what's the part that, that, uh, that smells things and hears things? Is that the cerebral? And then feels things. Where, where do our senses go? Which part of the brain? Oh, I'm not even sure. Um, I mean, there's so but many. It's so a different part, like, right? Okay. Well, you have your cranial nerves and where the olfactory okay. nerve goes to and... So what, it doesn't matter where they go, but everything you described was very visual. The line, the, the, the menu, the, mm-hmm. the things, the, the, all that kind of stuff. You walked in, you see the sights. When I say well, sensual, I'm talking about... Well, feeling, too. Yeah. Okay, wait, yeah, well, feelings, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that in a little bit. What about but the sun on our shoulders? That okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. tell you where I'm going with this. All right, so, you're so cute. Um, the senses, smell, hearing, touch, taste. You never mentioned the flavor of anything. Well, I'm you not, getting, I'm not re- there yet. Oh, okay. So maybe I interrupted did this too soon. No, that's okay. All right. Let me, let me, so, so here's how I look at it. When I go in a coffee shop, uh, the strongest sense we have is smell. And I can tell you coffee shops around the world by their smell. If I can describe jobs I had as a teenager by their smell. Smell is your greatest memory source. People don't use the, the sense of smell anywhere near enough. When you go to a winery, in Napa or Sonoma, which, which I frequented for many years, you know, being in California, you don't drink the wine first. You smell it. And you look at it. Mm-hmm. And you look at it in the glass. Mm-hmm. Drinking mm-hmm. is like the last thing you do. You know, it's like a seven-course, uh, you know, dinner. Okay. And so when I walk in, I'm smelling. I, I can tell if it's musty. I can tell if it's dry. I can tell if it's humid. I can tell if it's tropical. I can tell if it's freshly painted. I can tell if the wood grain. I can tell you how old the wood grain is and whether it was stained or, or varnished. I mean, all this stuff goes through my brain. Okay. So, so European, and I'm very strongly European, Canadian, Australian based, but mostly European, uh, French and Italian. I think I've got to have French and Italian in my background. Well, I've got Greek. So that's, that's part of where it comes from. But I look at everything through the senses. So another experience, a total experience. So I can, before I even get to the coffee shop, I'm looking at the outside, I'm looking at the inside, I'm looking at what's going on. But I'm also, I'm also smelling and hearing. And a lot of times I'm hearing, I'm hearing how many people, I'm hearing what's around me. I'm hearing, you know, is there a cricket in the corner? And I'm hearing them, them work with the coffee machines. I'm hearing the clinking of glasses and I can tell the ceramic from the metal. You know, and all these things are going through into my brain. So I try to look at life as a total central experience. And that's much more European. Europeans will do that. They'll take the time. You know, yeah. French have 15 different mm-hmm. wines. They'll take, they'll take the bread. You know, most things in Europe are local, okay? So if you look at it from a European perspective, the reason the cafes and the pubs and everything else is so popular is it's a much, not so yeah. much British, but I say the French and the Italians. We've been cut and, off from our senses. Yeah. We're, we, so Americans is, have been cut off right. from their that's, senses, from, that's from using our senses to make right. decisions. Agree. Right. Agree. And one thing I love about my coffee shop, my favorite mm-hmm. coffee shop, which is now half an hour away from me, 
is when you walk in, it's visually appealing. The painting and the the art is very okay. You're wood. back to visual again. Very, do you ever touch? Do you yeah. ever touch the paintings? Do you ever feel the texture of a paint? Do you ever touch the wood? Um, when you when you grab a wooden I'm, chair, do you feel the wood? Yeah. Okay. All right. But, but, but I was, but, I was know, saying you can also, when you choose your tea, if they have the loose leaf, you can actually, and this is part of, um, and I'm glad you reminded me, this is part of letting your body choose to open mm-hmm. it up and smell it, ask if you're allowed to smell it, and your body will be very drawn to one of those. Um, mm-hmm. But we haven't even sat down to inhale our coffee. I know. Do, do you yet. shake hands with the, the people behind the counter and greet them? Or, I mean, is there any touch involved? Do you shake hands with the people in line? So I'm going to say this as an old nurse, I do not because I don't feel like washing my hands and okay. um, I know I'm about to consume food. So I do carry a bottle of my handmade sanitizer only because I feel like if we're going to get all hyper about an upper respiratory viral infection to the point where people don't go near each other or a mask, um, my part, I always said my part will be what it always has been. And I will wash my hands and I will sanitize when I touch surfaces. I'll be aware of my own trajectory of infection control. So Okay, because I've got um, such a good immune so, system, I don't so worry about it. I'm, so I'll, I'll like well, hug people in line I that I know. And, you know. Okay. But I see people pick their nose and then not wash their hands. And I'm touching that. And I don't want to bring anything home to my kids. Oh, you, did, you had to say that, so, didn't you? I mean, you had to say if that. If I'm oh, familiar okay. with someone, yeah. if I'm familiar okay. with someone, I'll give them a hug. But if I'm yeah. not... Um, oh, no, I don't go hugging, hugging strangers. No, I'm not saying that. But, but if you look at the sensual experience, especially the smells, you know, you can tell so much from your nose. I think people have forgotten their noses exist. I really do. And the hearing is the next one, too. And touch. You know, can, you know there's a difference between a vinyl seat and a wooden seat. You know, there's a difference. All, all, I mean, do you feel your feet in the floor? I mean, I feel connected. Because mm-hmm. you know me, I look at life as a mm-hmm. continuum. You know, when I'm out riding my bike, my, I'm, I'm part of the continuum. I'm not a separate person riding a bike. So the bike goes, you know, from, from my shoes to the pedals, to the, to the rubber tires, to the ground, out to everything else. It's a continuum. And so for me, coffee, you know, is the person that made the beans, you know, and I smell the beans, you know, and I bring all this in and I can feel the warmth you know, if, you're, if you're close enough to the machine, which you don't be that close. But I mean, all these, the temperature of the place, all these things play in. And we as Americans, <clears throat> I think to a large extent, and this is why you get caught up in your schedule, because what's important to you is not what's important. And so if you make what I think is important, a coffee shop, the reason I, I focus on this, and Shirley was doing this too, I want you to get you guys together. The reason I think you focus on a coffee shop as opposed to a, a, an office and a cubicle, and that's why Dilbert was so popular, is because it's an incredible self-encapsulating, it's like a dream world. It's, it's, like a, it's like a throwback to a time when we could, it was purely sensual. And once you acknowledge that and well, recognize and go, oh, wow. And connected. So as a woman, yeah, it's okay. also social and connected, which is a huge part of, of our energy feed is the social uh-huh. and the connection. Yeah. But um, continuing on, so you get your mm-hmm. warm drink and you feel the warmth of the beverage in your hand. Ah, you feel, now you you're feel the it. warmth of the beverage. <laughs> well, I, I was getting it all along. I just hadn't finished. Oh yeah, and, and, and again, I was hoping you, that's no, that's I didn't want to okay. say until you were done, but I was just curious though. But uh, that's but okay, it was a visual. Long. Okay, we'll keep well, going. because I'm walking in because oh. because I'm feeling the warm sun and I'm seeing that I had a parking spot and I'm processing the feelings of of whether I'm going to meet this experience with pleasure or I'm going to whether I'm going to meet it with dismay. 
um, which mm. I think is hugely important. And so, and again, noticing, noticing beauty, whether it's visual, um, auditory, you know, touch is, is part of it. It's all part of the package. So now you get to hold your beverage, right? And, and mm-hmm. you feel the warmth and you get to maybe even imagine that that warmth is going all the way to the crown of your head and the tip of your toes. And it's like even warming your heart and you can smell the coffee or the tea and imagine as you're about to say, who made this, who picked the beans, where did they come from? You know, mm-hmm. and like actually send a little, a little energy of gratitude towards either the bees that made the honey for your coffee, um, for your tea or um, whoever picks the herbs for it and the people who picked the coffee beans and you know i've been to these processing plants in costa rica and they work very hard and they're very careful careful Mm. how they sort through them and they care a lot about their product which is one reason you want to ask that's one reason i don't go to starbucks because they don't and i go to places that carry um fair trade coffee that was coming from smaller places because that's important And yeah. you imagine you ever, some gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ever watch a, a a flowering plant that's full of bees and listen to it? Yeah. Quite amazing. Hmm. I'm just curious. And, and the reason for that is because, you know, I have gratitude for the bees. I'll do that. I'll just sit there and watch them. Dragonflies are a big thing mm-hmm. for me, too, because it's, it's my, uh, one of my spirit animals. And um, they will fly around me, <laughs> you know, in, in, in great numbers. It's really fascinating to watch. Um, I was at the uh, the Creek Tribe, the, the tribal grounds, and I said to the uh, Chief Dan's wife, uh, I said, there's a lot of dragonflies here. I said, yeah, yeah, they're always out. I said, okay, I said, okay watch this. So I walk out in the field, just put my arms out, and all of a sudden dragonflies are flying around me. I said, see, told you. <laughs> You know, it's a fascinating thing. So the connections we people people have no idea the concept of their own power, uh, or their own acceptance, or their own everything. And this is this whole world out there. But stand in front of a, of a plant uh, that's full of bees. They're not gonna they're not gonna attack you mm-hmm. unless you're stupid, you know. But for the most part, they're fascinating. Well, and now that we you know, they do their thing the and you know, they act a little different these days with all the neurotoxins sometimes. But that's the a little bees bit act differently. Oh, so, well, so, yeah, but a little yeah. sometimes. So and and I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. My dog's eye was stung by a, a hornet, and I and it's really swollen right now. So I've been looking for my colloidal silver spray. I can't find it, but I've been trying to treat that. But um, <laughs> poor little guy. But um, yeah. So then you're sitting at your table, and you're you're inhaling the aroma of your coffee, and you're having gratitude, and you know you hear the conversations around you, and maybe. Maybe you feel more quiet and you sit by yourself in a corner and that's okay by a beautiful window. Or maybe you feel social and you, you make eye contact and you smile at, at someone and you start a conversation. But again, the entire experience is one of seeking pleasure, noticing things, and, and being grateful. And I believe this is what manifests an amazing life. And when you do these things, it draws better experiences to you, everything negative begins to fall away. It becomes not part of your life anymore. Like it, hmm. with enough practice this way, you actually become a person that mm-hmm. almost has um, every, every experience is a blessing. Every experience is something to be thankful for. That's the way I look at it. Um, I mean, obviously, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you think Americans <clears throat> have a problem with pleasure? In other words, if it feels great, there's something wrong. 
that you're not being productive enough or you're wasting time or uh, why are you sitting there drinking coffee when you could be checking your stock options? You know, I'm just, I'm just curious. I think we do, you know, the busy schedule to me, it's an end in itself. And this is much more of a European view. Um, when I was in Italy and I loved Italy, they all, they all sleep in the afternoon cause it's too hot. But around five o'clock, everybody comes out till about midnight. <laughs> then they go to sleep till about six and they, they work from like six till 11 and they go to sleep again till about four, <laughs> you know, they come out again. But in the evenings in Rome, uh, everybody, nobody watched TV. Everybody was out. They're all out the fountains. And I was close enough to some of the big ones. You know, and uh, finding a place to stay Easter Sunday in Rome was an experience, but I found one anyway. But I was right, uh, right near the train station in downtown, and it's just everybody's out talking, and they're all drinking coffee, and they're all being social. And the experience of that, you don't see that here. I mean, you know, the show Cheers was really popular. You know, you want to go someplace where everybody knows your name. Okay, so why don't you do that, people? Why don't you go someplace where everybody knows your name? You know, and do that. I do that around here because it's very local. You know, I love being in a small town now because everybody knows my name or at least they know my voice, <laughs> but that's part of the experience, you know, but I think Americans have a problem with pleasure with just for, for no reason, you know, it's like, if it doesn't have a reason, you know, that th- it's not good enough, but just pleasure for its own sake. I think th- we seem to have lost the ability to smell the coffee and enjoy it. They say, stop and smell, you know, uh, what is it? Wake up and smell the coffee. Well, the whole purpose is to wake up and do something. The purpose is not to smell the coffee, which is what it should be. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, I agree, and I think I believe that moving through life with this this constant distraction, overworking, overburden, mm-hmm. busy, busy is a trauma is a trauma response. Yeah, yep. Interesting. I do. It, so it, let's. It, it, it's a, it's a it's a unskillful way to try to. Um, cover up wounding and pain of not being enough hmm. and somebody could argue that but I think I could no that it's not a question of arguing it but it, it, I think yeah. it's a perception thing and let's get back to our, our, our sort of like our overall theme here if you have if you're a person that, that for which pleasure is its own reward it's its own justification it's its own thing it doesn't need to be anything else beyond the coffee smells great I don't have to wake up and smell the coffee smell of coffee and that's when i see a heart mm. you know made of cream in, in my coffee from my favorite little coffee shop here mama lattes shameless plug i know um but that's exciting it's like somebody went to the trouble to put a nice little design in my coffee for me i didn't ask him to do it mm-hmm. i just did it you know so i'm grateful for that but the thing is that uh, do you smell the coffee before you drink it are you in this you know do you do you uh, get in a a, a paper cup a plastic cup you know, do you have one of those little plastic straw things or do you actually drink it out of ceramic something or glass or something where it might taste better? And so these are Yeah, I always ask, can I get a can I get a for here mug? And sometimes yeah. places don't carry them anymore. But if I'm gonna Bring sit your there, own. I don't want it in paper. I want it well, I'm not, I'm not organized. You probably can't sure do that. Yeah, yeah. But, I'm but so let's go back to the, it would be broken uh, on my floor. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk let's talk about, you know, our favorite topic of relationships here. If you have two people that don't like pleasure at all, unless it gets them something, uh, mm. there's going to be a very different relationship. If you have one person like me yeah. that will just, you know, go smell the coffee and take time and say, Oh, there's a monarch butterfly. Stop. What are you doing? We have to get somewhere where, you know, you know, I, you know, I need a partner that's going to be going, Oh, that's a great butterfly. Let's stop and look, so you know, but that's you interesting. Don't... go ahead. Mm-hmm. Tell me. Now that's really an interesting point. Yes. So there are two, so those two people get together mm-hmm. and 
what at first might be very intriguing about the other person may soon become pretty um, heavy. The person that wants to just move through and doesn't want to chit chat and wants to just get it and go either is going to continue to delight and love and soften up a little bit and, and begin to move in that direction of the person who notices and sees beauty and slows down, or it's going to, once the honeymoon phase is over, it's going to get, they're going to not understand it. They're going to be contemptuous towards it, scornful and annoyed. And the person who sees beauty and slows down and notices and has the conversation and is grateful is going to either continue to admire and be chemically drawn because they're so different, right, Mm -hmm. to the person who's not like that, but might begin to feel a little bummed and dismayed being with them that they can never enjoy something with them. And and especially if that person is not able to at least kind of um, share joyous experiences or share any of the pleasures with the more sensual person isn't really able to even soften and, and connect there, that's mm-hmm. going to be a very lonely place for the sensual noticer to be in that mm-hmm. relationship probably. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's why you need two sensual noticers together. You may not get anything done, but you're going to have a great time not doing it. <laughs> so, I feel know. like a balance is really good. If you have someone more in one energy and someone uh-huh. more in the other, it's totally fine. As long as, um, if my non-sensual, non-noticer by nature, um, mm-hmm. when that person, you know, needs to have a lot of conversation and needs to just kind of get the copy and go because we have another plan, then I have room mm-hmm. for that sometimes. And then, you know, if I was to say, wow, this smells so good and what a beautiful day and we get to sit in this patch of sun, mm-hmm. my less noticing, less sensual partner could say, wow, you know what, let me take it. You're right. I actually didn't notice that. It does feel really good. Thank you for yeah. um, reminding me. Sometimes I forget to notice those things. And therein, <laughs> you, you're, it's good en- therein it's good enough. It's good yeah. enough. You're both, you're both complimenting each other. Okay. Um, but I, ha- I have been in a situation where, where a person is literally seems unable and unwilling to, um, to soften in that direction at all, and it's, it is very lonely. Yeah. yeah. And it's this sad so for them. You feel be, sad for yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is why it's so important to be honest in the beginning of your relationships. You're not trying to, you know, you know, make the sale. <laughs> You're not trying to, uh, you know, get the That's commitment right. uh, and then turn into the person you really are. I mean, I've seen that. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk well, about that. Well, men will anyway. do that for sex. <clears throat> men will do that to get sex and women will do that to get attention and validation. They'll put on a yeah. front. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Or, or get married, you know, or, or get a relationship or, or get all kinds of different things. But it's, it's, it's um, you know, and that's another difference between Europeans and Americans. Europeans love sex for fun. Americans will do it to, as part of a, 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 I don't know, some kind of like a contract or, or a business deal. And I'm generalizing. Yeah, transactional, obviously. a hook, a it's, seduction. It's, you know, there's a purpose yeah. for it. Okay. So in, in Europe, I find that people will do, again, I mean, they'll look at artwork just because uh, it's beautiful. Whereas like an uh, American might go, yeah, that's beautiful. I wonder how much I can sell it for, how much it costs. I mean, it was the most popular game show for, for what, 30 years. The price is right. Didn't matter what it was. We want to know what, what the value is. In, in other words, there's a value system based on money as opposed to a value system based on, on senses, on, on what it does for you. You know, so there's like human currency and there's like physical currency. Okay, my electricity just all turned off. Huh. Oh, you're in the dark? This is going to make a more interesting show. 
Dorothy uh-huh. in the Dark now does action radio. So, okay, well, wait a minute. What are you concerning. feeling? What are you, no, no, this is great. What are you feeling? So the lights well, are out. What are you um, feeling? Tell me your senses. What are you, what are you feeling? Well, that, um, in my shoulders and in my throat and chest, um, a little anxiety, like an elevated energy of, um, I guess, fear slash anxiety. Not, not deep, not strong, but it's there. Yeah, okay. my first. But you got stars. a handyman. Okay. You got a handyman. You got a big dude who you he like who's on the premises. Okay, so are you alone in the house now? Yeah. And it's dark. This is fascinating. Don't don't give away too much information. Like, don't tell me your address or anything. I don't want anybody like racing over there. But uh, but just this is interesting. So immediately everything changes. So if you're in the dark, so when the power goes out in the middle of the night, everything changes unless you're already asleep. So now you have to go by feel. You don't have your sight. Now what do you do? Well, no, I do. Uh, there's lots of sunlight here, so it's okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's true. It's daytime. Um, right. But the power is out, huh? Okay. Well, let's get back to our, yeah. our, our main topic then. Have you spent much I time in Europe? I can go under the house and look. Um, a little bit. Italy and the UK. Do you, do you get a sense of the, how but they I, sense that? I mean, I have a lot of... Well, here's the thing. My father was Hungarian. He spoke eight languages. We had a lot of European friends in our homecoming and going. And, mm-hmm. um, and I also have a lot of Dutch friends for whatever reason. Um, my first friend when I moved to North Mark Carolina was, yeah. was German. Yeah, I don't know why. The Dutch usually like me and I like them. Um, I don't look good. Is that Marco? <laughs> See, Marco's still there. He's only going to be out for another five minutes. Yeah. Mar- Marco's there. He's, there as well, so he's, he's there. So he'll be like, yeah. Maybe we get your, his Dutch friends and your Dutch friends. Well, who knows? Maybe there's a connection in the uh, Netherlands. We'll find out one day. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, my, one of my best friends is back and forth all the time to Holland. Um, uh-huh. She's going to bring me with her when next, sometime soon when I can go. But, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. This, yes, and I actually had this conversation last week with Simona. We were out having lunch, and we were talking about I was headed to the Dominican Republic for a few days, and she couldn't go because she's moving. But mm. I don't know how it came up that she said Americans do this thing where, like, they work their butts off. They have these big houses that you walk in, and there's it's not cozy at all. There's, like, nothing there. Like, it's personal. It's just kind of very um, – sort of prescribed and then they have like a fancy car and then they go to on the, their vacation they go once a year to the same beach location for a week with the whole family and that's their vacation and again it's a stereotype but she was making a generalization but there's a lot of truth to that she said mm-hmm. you know Europeans and Dutch you know we might have a smaller house it's very cozy we'll have a lot of like personal things it's a reflection of us and uh, maybe a smaller car, a simpler, and, you know, then we'll go all kinds of places all year. And, mm-hmm. and travel is really important. And yeah. I thought that was I've, all, I've always valued um, travel over stuff. I've always valued travel yeah. over stuff. I'll go away for three months. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, come back with memories I'm still talking about today, and this was 40 years ago. But you it's know, almost like the presentation. The Americans have, a, have this TV-oriented uh, presentational idea of what life should look like so that others are pleased with them and oh, you know versus having a richness of life that's authentically yours and so, um, very meaningful so who approves of your relationship if you're looking for outside approval other than the two people who are in it now what do you do mm-hmm. what do the neighbors say what is the family going to say about this what is you know who cares and i think this is part of our culture and this is how kids are being raised 
Okay. So um, I think it, it goes the culture of what does it look like to others? What are others going to think? It's sort of like Victorian, some religious stuff. Um, hmm. Definitely the TV and social media now is making that, um, emphasizing that even more. Hmm. Right. Yeah. If that's your reality. But, the, you know, I think that we need to get back to the senses. And so how would a, how would a sensual, you know, breakfast look? you know, as opposed to a, a, a business breakfast, you know, on a schedule, you know, it's, it's well, totally I different think you experiences. Ask your first, you ask your body what it needs today. It starts with a personal breakfast that your body actually wants to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's my dog saying. Yeah, I hear the dog. Yeah, we only got a few minutes left. Stranger you have to go danger. Early. That's okay. Yeah. No, I'm okay. <laughs> well, I'm walking around outside now. Yeah, I can hear it. Yeah. Really so if the birds join us property. and the dog... Yeah, if the birds and dogs join the show, that's okay. We used to, I, I'm always uh, fond of telling when Alan Dawson called us from Belize, and we always, he always had tropical birds, you know, squawking out in his back porch, and that's where he talked to us. They're so, loud just, on the phone. When there's no, yeah, birds in the background, it's like yeah, an they're, alarm. They, they were, they're in the front ground, actually. We, they're real clear, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're kind of used to stuff like that. But uh, well, so you're outside. Well, what are you feeling? What's uh, How warm is it? What's, well, uh, what, you know, what does the grass smell the like? I feel like... Oh, it's, I live in like a rainforest. It's, it's beautiful. Um, my grass is super lush and green and it's full of weeds, which is my favorite kind of grass. And when I say weeds, I mean variety. Like it doesn't look like weeds, but there's clover. Okay. There's lots of clover and different kinds of grasses. And it makes it, it's almost like when you look across the grass, there's all these varieties of green, like hmm. different levels of green. But it's okay. really lush because we get a lot of rain. And I have many, many trees, dogwoods and oak trees and a beautiful flowering um, crepe myrtle. It's gigantic and pink right at the hmm. front of my property. What's yeah. it smell like? It doesn't smell like a lot right now. Um, just the normal smell of um, being outside in a temperate climate with lots of trees. <laughs> just what, what do the flowers of... feel like? What do the flowers feel like? I want to talk about breakfast because we were talking about how do you have a sensual breakfast. Well, okay. So, <laughs> and I thought know, that was maybe... really interesting. <laughs> okay, go for it. So let's have a sensual breakfast. Well, maybe, you know, a little difficult on the radio, but, yeah. Tell me about it. What's it look like and sound like and feel, well, and, feel and smell like and feel like? I feel like. like if the first is you're tuning into your own body, asking your body what it feels and what it needs. So you, do you need mm-hmm. eggs? Do you need a smoothie? Do you need meat today? And then mm-hmm. – um, and then you're using the highest quality products that are clean, right? Because they're good for your body. And, you know, you're touching your food as you're cooking it. You're not trying to be super neat necessarily with utensils. And sometimes your hands get a little messy and that's okay. That's part of it, Do you it, use right? a recipe? Do you use a recipe? I don't. But, um, okay. Why? Why? You might make a mistake. It might not be perfect. Why wouldn't you use a recipe? Obviously, these are loaded questions. I mean, I know you need a recipe for fried eggs. That's what I like. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, the whole point and of asking a recipe is like a schedule. It, yeah. Isn't a recipe mm-hmm. like a schedule? You know, it's the same kind of thing. Well, someone my else, kids have tried not approval. using a recipe, and it doesn't work. Sometimes you need to know that. Okay. You need to know the basic chemistry of ingredients in order right. to have I mean, it turn out a, edible. <laughs> but you see that, but some people will only use the recipe. They'll never experiment. They'll never throw anything else in. And they don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I used to make a, a spaghetti sauce with, a, you know, a few cans of tomato paste and a, a store-bought jar, and I'd throw in barbecue sauce and red wine, and it was great. Mm. Trust me. 
Well, some it people can actually cook and some people can't. But no one would do that. You no. tell people you put red wine and barbecue sauce in your spaghetti sauce, they look at you like you're some kind of alien with three heads until they try it. They go, well, that's pretty good. You know. But the thing is, a recipe is like a schedule. It's a restriction. Now, it's nice to have a guideline. It's nice to have a schedule, sort of. But on the, I mean, I have a schedule for the show. But on the other hand, we're completely fluid. Jonathan, I didn't know mm-hmm. if he was going to be able to make it or not. I was ready in both cases. If he's here, we talk. If he's not, it's okay. So my life is completely fluid and completely adaptable. But if you're on that business schedule, and, and it, it, talks to, you know, it goes to, use, I think a recipe is a perfect example. And then, it, and then we've got five minutes left. So you know, let's go from sensual to sexual. If, you're, okay. if you've got two sensual people, they're noticing everything, the dampness of each other's hair, the, the aroma they bring with them, if they've been working outside or not, or who knows what, or maybe it's you know, time for the, the lilac bath or something. I don't know. You know. But a sensual sexual experience as opposed to a scheduled business sexual experience are two totally different experiences. Hmm. Well, it's Wednesday I mean, at 5 I... o'clock. Okay, you know, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, as and and to, that might work for some. That might work for two people. That might work for two busy people and their masculine energy. And if that works for both people, then it's totally fine. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, it, it depends I'm not, on I'm not, compatibility. I'm not saying right, right or wrong. Yeah. I'm just pointing out differences. That is a different experience if you're on a scheduled sexual or, or sensual experience or if you're on a purely sensual one. Totally different experiences. Right. Yes, so, no, maybe. Okay. I'm just, well, I'm just, I was, that's not the I, question. I don't know. I've never had the first one. I don't, can't imagine like this Wednesday at 5 o'clock. I don't, I've never well, had that experience. Well, and how about people I, that, how I think about people that, that, that is a, that is, that heck. is, that is something that like a therapist would recommend if the couple is very busy and they're not having connected intimacy. And I, yeah, I do know couples that have arranged that every certain night, that they're going to do this and this and this together. And, um, and I think that works really well, but I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't feel that that when that's happening, that's not just, you know, a scheduled mentality. Like they, they're there and they're ready to connect. Well, you know, they're ready. Yeah. Cause it's better than, ready to than, connect. than not. Yeah. Yeah. It's rather than not connecting. Okay. Well, we got to Especially if you on. value busyness over connection, right. which is what our culture. So if you value busyness and getting it done, over connection, yeah. then you will yeah. probably end up in a space where you need to have that scheduled one night a week, that you're not going to be having spontaneity. You're not going to allow time for spontaneous connection. So it, it's a solution. I don't know that it's ideal, but it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, and then you can move from there to something else. Um, we only have a little bit of time, a couple of minutes. So anything we've forgotten? We've sort of been jumping all over the place. Do we get this covered the way well, you we were talking to? about how to have a, how to move through life um, using your senses and mm-hmm. noticing beauty versus just a rote, I'm very busy um, moving through life, not noticing always in the next moment, thinking of what you have to do. And that's two very, very different ways to live life. Mm-hmm. And what people will find is that they consciously connect with the senses, consciously notice beauty, consciously find ways to make moments pleasurable and change their thoughts, the entire life changes, not just your own day to day, but Mm -hmm. honestly, if we want to get spiritual and woo, this is real. You will find good things coming your way. Good people coming your way. You'll find more Mm -hmm. abundance. All of a sudden your life, like you get quote lucky 
with things instead of always having these bad luck, all of a sudden mm-hmm. you always have good luck. And mm-hmm. people come your way that, that say just the right thing or offer just the right support. And this begins to happen because the universe rewards your energy and your gratitude. The universe gives you more of what you expect and more of what you give your attention to. And so that will transfer into your intimate relationship where the person that walks in the door, instead of thinking you're thinking all the negative, like they didn't do this and they didn't do this and they never do this. You're literally conscientiously appreciating them in your mind and heart as much as possible, trying, trying their best. And this is what they do offer. And this is what they do. And even if it feels like it's almost nothing, you still notice, you still notice all the good things. Because when you try, you will find them. You'll find them. And when you focus on that, you're going to find they do it more. All the good things they do, they'll start doing it more. And the annoying things will start to fall away. You either won't notice them or they will stop. And that's real. That's, that's how it works. And it's a, I think it's a, a holistic life mentality. That makes a lot of sense. No, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think I've been doing it subconsciously and now doing it much more consciously that I'm noticing that I'm noticing. And that's kind mm-hmm. of a, that's an accomplishment too. And Isn't that so, interesting? Noticing that you're noticing. Woo! That's like you can Michael use that. Singer stuff. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, it's, feel free. It's, it's, it's how you're completely in your divine highest self and not in your ego or in your personality. That's, it's like the key to actually surrendering to the moment, right? Is noticing when you notice. Like who's the yeah. noticer, right? Yeah, who's observing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, are it, the observer. And <laughs> it, it, it's the, the things that I did naturally anyway all my life, and all of a sudden I realized how significant some of those natural things are, like being, you know, living a sensual life, listening to the birds, you know, going and smelling, literally smelling the flowers. I mean, I do that. You know, I've done that since I was a kid. You know, it's like, you, know, you got to stop and smell the roses. Well, I actually do stop and smell the roses, okay? You know, and people are like, what are you doing? Yeah, me smelling too. The roses. Isn't it great? Mm-hmm. I feel sorry for the people that don't yeah. do this. It's almost like you want to, uh, you know, bring people with you for like, spend a day with me. You want to have some fun? You know, and I, I talked to people, and this is this be another topic for another show, but it's along the same lines. I talked to so many people. Hey, what's going on in your life? What's exciting? What's new? What's adventurous? Nothing. Well, come for a walk with me mm. for an hour. I'll, sh- I'll show you what adventure looks like because stuff happens to me all the time. Why? Because I'm open to it. Because I'm, I'm talking yeah, to Yeah, that's right. You know, that's and I'm, right. I'm there. Yeah, it's, it's there. You know, I don't want to, you know, sit on my, on my deathbed going, gee, I really wish I had all these things done that I didn't want to, that I was trying to do. Because by the time I get there, I'll done it. At least I hope so. Uh, I love the prayer. Um, I love the prayer. Surprise me today, God. Surprise me with blessings. Surprise me with experiences. Make mm-hmm. it so fun that I laugh out loud, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, it's and like then this that show. happens. Talk about surprises. <laughs> here, here I'm doing something I dreamed of, you know, for, for 30 years, you know, with my own radio show. And here it is. <laughs> and I'm grateful every day, you know, because we get to play. We get to experiment. We get to do things that uh, – and here's another thing, too. Don't have a boss. I'm a firm believer in uh, if you can find a way to work, uh, you're going to work your best uh, if you can do it, do it yourself. You know, and there's so many people in a hierarchy. Oh, you got to get that good job. Got to work for that boss. You know, that'd be another thing too. We should talk about living a hierarchical life and how that relates to everybody's relationships as well. This is fun. I love having you on. I, we have such a good chat. I love it too. And now I need to go figure out why I have no electricity. Um, and okay. so 
Mule back of the real world. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Just get your contact information uh, and uh, always post your coffee places you go to, and I'll do the same. And let's, uh, we need to form a coffee group. We need to, uh, those of us at Action Radio. I got to get Shirley. She hasn't been on the show for a while, but she's a big coffee fan too. Uh, I wonder why more women value this than guys. Maybe that's that's something we should talk about too. I find that interesting. So I'm Dorothy Diana on Facebook. I also have an Instagram. And I, well, I'm, I'm just trying to fulfill the request here without, so I don't forget. And um, I teach private classes and group classes for women trying to get back in touch with their feminine and their sensuality and sexuality. And I write a blog and I raise my three children and I'm still unpacking boxes in my new house. But I do all these things with joy and pleasure and I love talking to you weekly. And we'll talk next week. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, you're busy. It's wonderful. I love talking to you, too. So uh, we'll do it again next week. Thank you, Dorothy. Have fun. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye now. This, I love Mondays. Mondays are incredible. Uh, I get to talk to Dorothy. I get to talk to Jonathan. You know, I get to rant for an hour. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. And so tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be a little different. Uh, Brianna's off, and so we're going to have Jonathan Kohler back again. We're going to do our AI. We're going to have a, a live AI chat with uh, Google Bard or Bard Google or Bard AI Google, whatever it's called. Anyway, it's going to be fun. Uh, and then we have Josie, and then the third hour. Uh, I'll probably get to some of the stuff I didn't get to this hour, uh, the first hour of the show today. So maybe do a little more ethanol uh, and a little more of the Israeli judicial forums and some other stuff that I have. Uh, I got a lot of stuff. So we'll get we'll take, tackle all those things. Anyway, this has been um, just a blast today. And let me play our, our information one more time, play a couple things for you. And I will talk to you all again tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time, when we do it all again. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. 
And now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical efficacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Gravecare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.